cool, man. I love that. Wow. Okay, yeah, I don't I have, think... I have two I'd... cameras, too. If you... Well, Steve, unfortunately, we are not live. And oh, uh, I'm very sorry. That's right. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know how to... Yeah, I, I, I have this OBS. I have this OBS program, and if I could, I mean, I've done live from that before, but I don't know how to get two two people on there at the same time. You know, uh, I can do I, know a, I can do a live thing by myself, and then people people talk to me through the chat or whatever. <clears throat> but I'm not sure how. I have a crazy works. idea, so mm -hmm. we're gonna we're actually gonna try one <clears throat> real little thing here before. Uh, are, you, are you just gonna record through Zoom? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, that, that. Yeah, Zoom. Once you when you record through it, it goes mono, unfortunately. But oh, yeah. It does like a mono thing. Okay. That OBS thing will. That will uh, record. As you hear it, as in, in uh, stereo. But. Well, I have I have an idea. Let me just, real quick. Um, okay. I could actually. <laughs> this is crazy. I could do. I could use this and just do the screen for a little bit no, if yeah. you know what i'm saying yeah. yeah i mean maybe it would be not too bad sure just do this for a minute so um okay we're, we're live on facebook in a kind of a funky way okay. um but here's what i'll do um first of all hello everybody this is not how i planned for this to go as far as being on facebook live because i'm using my phone to record my computer see so <laughs> we have a very nice friendly patient guest with us tonight thank you steve <laughs> for your oh, yeah. patience oh it's not like i have too much else to do i can't go anywhere so <laughs> okay i got plenty of time well i wanted to uh, uh first of all i want to introduce you uh friends people who are watching um i i discovered this gentleman through uh alan holdsworth actually because and my, my quick story here the fall of 86 i went to see the chick korea electric band because I had never seen Dave Weckl. I really wanted to see Dave. Had recordings. He sounded great. Okay, I got to check this guy out. And there's this opening act. And I knew that Chad Wackerman was the drummer. So that was cool. But I'd never heard of this guy, Alan Holdsworth. Yeah, I didn't know who he was. So I'm like, well, you know, we'll get through the opening act. I'm sure it's probably going to be pretty good. And then we'll see Chick. Alan comes out with Jimmy Johnson and Chad. And really seriously, with within maybe one minute, my, my world, and literally, I, I don't mean to sound like too weird or anything, but my life yeah. changed. That yes. was the most pivotal um, moment of change for me musically in my entire life. I'd never seen anything like it. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. And so, so you know intermission comes and i'm like i'm gonna go home 
I'll catch this other guy. These other guys later. You know what? Uh, my friend said, that's dumb. They make CDs for a reason. Go buy CDs tomorrow. So I did. I stayed. I watched Chick. It was great, but I wasn't in it because it was so different, but it was still really good. Of course, it was great. Yeah. But so I went out the next day. I got IOU. I got metal fatigue and a tab of crime on CDs. And then um, I didn't see him again for a couple of years. He was playing with another band that was touring. The super band was Stanley Clark, Randy Brecker, yeah. Steve Smith. Mm-hmm. But then the next time was in 93. Yeah, the, the Jazz Explosion Superman. Yes, thank yeah. you. Yeah. I used to and I used so, to be the musical director for the Jazz Explosion. You before, did. Right before no. that was the guy that runs that thing. I was that's how that's how I met up with Stanley Clark because uh No kidding. Oh wow. Because I was the, I was a musical director. I was a kid, about 25, 26, and I I was the musical director for the Jazz Explosion. We had all these different artists on there and the guy uh uh that organized and ran the whole thing owned that whole thing he, he when uh when that year came he did like the jazz exposed all-stars oh wow and so that's when he had like uh and and, and i wasn't really an all-star so i didn't make the cut back oh, then, back oh then. man so, so it was uh i don't remember who was on keys i remember uh yeah, it, was, it was right uh, uh rick beard jeff no his last name was right uh, and i always forget his first name but um, oh well but, that that was fine, but then then and this is where I finally get to introduce you officially. Is <laughs> uh, sometime in 1993, Hardhead Area had just came out. I had you know Secrets and Warden Cliff Tower and these other recordings, anything I could find with Alan. And uh, we're at Red Red Creek. My friend, you know John and uh, some other people were out there front well front row. It was there was no row. It was standing only. I was right at the end of the stage with Alan right up against me. You're on keyboards. That's the night I discovered you. Well, I, I'd heard of you on recordings, but when I saw you that night, I was like, this was another pivotal moment for me. So that's my super long-winded introduction to say, <laughs> I would like to introduce keyboardist, composer, uh, amazing musician, Steve Hunt. Thank you uh, so much for joining oh, me. Oh, thanks for having me. And, uh... and I have been a fan since before that night, but that night, man, you, Schoolie, Gary Husband, what a great show that that was a that was a good band well they they were all good bands though that that i i was in with alan and uh but that was a particularly good band with schoolie uh and with and with gary and i think i think we had just recorded hard hat area or we were about to go in and to record it i forget the the timeline on that but uh and um that was yeah that was sort of a magical year because we 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 toured a lot with that quartet and then mm-hmm. and then we went right into the studio and just recorded that record in in, in the weekend and that really was, no kidding yeah. it took about a year to come out because uh you know alan was being alan you know because yeah, he probably didn't like anything he played <laughs> he uh, well that that record i won't i won't go into all the details but that record was uh it it was on and off at least three or four times so you can imagine i was so excited about this <laughs> i was on previous records but just on a few tunes here and there like on right Secrets. I had two of my songs on there, and Warden yeah. Cliff Tower. I was on a few more songs, but sort of scattered in yet. But this was the first album where it was really just a band record. It was like that band, a touring band. It was the whole played. band front to finish on that, right? Yeah, pretty much. It, yeah, yeah. It's like that. It was just that band, and uh, his previous albums, he'd he'd always had a mix of people play here and there, and which is you know fine stuff. But this was this was sort of like that first I I I O U. I, oh, you record where it was like just a band, you know, and uh, 
So so yeah. So anyway, that that thing. So I was so excited, but that thing just like was off, and then it was on, and then it was off. It was oh, off. So I was on a roller coaster of like, you know, we did the recording. I was up on it, and he said, "I don't think this is going to come out because I can't play over it," you know. So I was down, and then he called me a few months later. So oh, I think I can get some stuff going here. Oh, you know? I'm like, and I was up again, and then they had some technical problems with a, the digital machine they used, and I don't think we're going to be able to save the the tracks and i was like oh god and then he said oh we we did a special thing and we saved the digital tracks i'm like i was up you know it, it was like that for about a year and then when it finally came out and uh alan told me a few years before he passed away he called he would call up every once in a while and he said that was one of his favorite records yeah that one in secrets he said those are two his two favorite oh. records and it's and, uh, it's so. the i really like i wore if you could wear a cd out i wore that one out too yeah it was, and so that was a good band so I, that's uh i'm glad you got to see that that particular lineup because that was a i mean i remember i mean I, imagine i i was having the feeling you were having but every night standing on oh, stage yeah, and, and it never wrong? it never waned it never went away every night i get up there i would have that feeling you had i would get that feeling every night i was just so excited to get up there and we start playing i was like oh my god look listen to what i I'm, I'm listening to, and then oh, oh, I got to play. Sorry, you know. Oh yeah, that's, so it was it was just a, a really great time, you know. I just I pinched well, myself because you know I I knew we'd talk about Alan, and um, I'd love to talk about him more. But so it, it, as we were starting off here, I kind of wanted people to know how I discovered you, and it is through Alan, obviously. And then yeah. I saw you that night, and so my son, who's um, you know, very musical as well, he. He and I have been listening to you since, well, since those days. Well, he was, you know, like five years old, but he he was digging it, man. Seriously, yeah, he's no, been into good. this for many, many years. Um, and we we have recordings of yours. You have other CDs that you've put out, a couple CDs, and and I can't remember the names of songs. I'm so bad with that. But um, when I think of Steve Hunt, when I think of you how, how you perform how you play um again not to sound weird or anything but you must have like the biggest heart in the world and be a really cool cool friendly awesome person because nobody could write or play this way if they were not that way i mean you you can't oh, make you. this i don't know if it's possible to make this super beautiful music and this is just my opinion but hmm. i share it with many um I really appreciate what you do so much. I appreciate that very much. I mean, uh, as musicians, we strive to be. I mean, we we all strive to be ourselves. You know, we want to be. We we have influences and all that stuff. We want to be like other people, and you know, I, I always I wanted to be like Chick Corea and Herbie Hancock, and but I it really early on, like, uh, and I remember telling my my wife to be at the time, this I was in my early twenties, and I and I remember coming to this realization as like. I'm never going to be those guys, and I just have to accept myself who I am as a musician, and and that that kind of changed my whole perspective the rest of my the rest of my life up until now. Is uh, it's not that I I don't imitate these guys, Joe's all and all, and I mean Jan, all these guys, I love them all, you know, even Alan, you know, it's like I was a big fan of Alan before I was in the band. But uh, when I play and when I write, I just try to be true to myself, just. If it feels good to me, I like it, you know, and yeah, and I, you know, I, I try not to uh, do something that's like, uh, well, I, I just, I just, uh, 
I know I'm influenced by a lot of people, but uh, you know, like you say, it's it's, it's something something that comes. It has to be something that comes from you, whatever it is. And so, uh, I think I think the audience can kind of tell when it's pretentious and and not you know not authentic and not who you are. So that's a word I was just thinking about is authentic. And I, I believe you're right. They know when it is or when it isn't authentic. Yeah. And um, that's a huge thing for a musician to become aware of what you were just stating about, you know, wanting to be uh, some like somebody else, but, but then realizing, you know, it's me, I can be me and yeah. letting go of all that, you know, and I mean, <laughs> on a much different level, that happened to me maybe about five years before I decided to take a break from playing, which now has been seven years other than a CD last year, but that was different. Um, Cause I'm trying to regroup and figure out who the hell I am in that arena. Yeah. What do I have to say? Do I even want to play the drums? You know what I mean? I will, yeah. but I mean, there are other things too. So this is a, what I like about it is it's, it can be this continuous journey for us hmm. as individuals and, and yeah. as, as a group too, you know, yeah. yeah that's great um so you i, I want to make sure we talk about this early on um this new album coming out man <laughs> thank you those tracks every single one of them takes me on a journey that's that's one of the things that i really um i, I i'm hungry for that i need these journeys you know yeah and um the the players and the way and you got to be punching yourself holy crap you got the my my heroes of all heroes yeah all they're all my <laughs> heroes too you know and yeah i i, I do as I, I can't believe holy I, cow, I, man. I all these guys on his uh, but and, yeah and, but you're a hero so to me it's like well yeah oh, i mean he's they're all supposed to play together all these guys but and gals or whoever but but really man what a, what a what a great um uh, body of work as jimmy Haslip would say this is a beautiful body of work oh thank CD. you so much yeah now as we record this right now it is january 8th 2021 i don't usually try to date my uh interviews but you expect this to come out sometime later this month yeah the date uh i have stamped on it is is january 25th which is coming up really quick and uh, okay There'll at least be a digital release at that time. I, I have that ready. And then eventually I may have some hard copies. Whoever's, whoever still owns a CD player. I don't know. Yeah, I know. I, I still have 500 CDs upstairs. Some people want it. You know, I can sign it or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Kind of going, going away kind of thing. So, but, uh, that, so hopefully by January 25th, that's going to be the official re release date. And then it'll kind of go from there. And Beautiful. I'll have it up on all the streaming services and and the digital oh, good. outlets and stuff and uh it's anyway, called yeah, I'm, it's I'm called I'm connections yeah connection yeah I'm, I'm super excited about this record too it's like uh i i only have a few records maybe i think this is maybe only the third record that's just under my name my own record mm -hmm. the, the very first one i did which is called from your heart and from your soul mm -hmm. which alan played a track on and chad and, and schooly yeah and uh and then i did uh one a few years ago with a, a local bass player Bruce Kurtz and and drummer Henrik de Almeida, and, uh, and that one. But this this is uh, just I guess my third. I've done a bunch of other records with other people. I started after that first record. I, did, I started people wanted to come to my studio and and I started producing a lot of people. So I was produced and recorded and 
and played on and all kinds of stuff with like tons of people. And then, but I've always had this I, this concept in the back of my mind in the last 10, 15 years is just contacting all these people I've played with over the last 40 years and just get them together again, you know. And I, you know, I, I didn't know it was going to be during a pandemic. And luckily <laughs> we have we have this way of just sending material back and forth sure. on the internet. And it, but, uh, but it was always sort of a, something was in my head that I just wanted to do. And, and, and unfortunately, I, I wanted Alan to play on a couple of tracks too. That was sort of the plan, but mm-hmm. um, he passed away a few years ago. So, yeah. but, uh, but I have all, all the band members that I, that I used to play with in that band and they're on this thing. And uh, one of my, that I called it my first connection because a good friend of mine here in Boston, Randy Roos. Oh yeah. Is on a, is yeah. On a track. And he, he gave me my first gig in Boston. No sight kidding. unseen. He never heard me. Uh, he got a, a reference from uh, a local keyboard player who was in his band, Frank Wilkins, and and he uh, he took that and he and he called me up one day. He said, "I want you to be in my band." And I'm like, "Do I need audition?" He's like, "No, Frank. Frank said you're the guy, so you're the guy." <laughs> and so I, so I was in Randy's band, and and Victor Bailey was in that band. You know, the bass no player. Yeah. He, was, yeah, he was he was just a year younger than me. Okay, and it was me and Victor Bailey and. Uh, a great drummer that uh, was in town, Jun Sato, and him and Tommy Campbell were kind of good friends during that oh, time. Oh, yeah, sure. And so, uh, but that was a big gig for me, like in Boston. And Randy really taught me, like, how to play with a with a group and how to, like, just, you know, ha- how to play in live situations. He really just, he was my first guru. So he's, like, the first connection. And then all these other people on the record, they just go through the 40 years of, of my career and and acquaintances and and then some of them are very new you know so it's uh it's, it's i'm really excited about this and so that's why i call it connections because they're just every every person on this i have a connection to in some form or another so it's uh i love that each 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 song with a with the performers have a story on its own about this thing <laughs> yeah i could sure. be a, a, a several podcasts to get through all of them but i don't want to bore you with all those but no, let's uh, do it. Some we'll start. This is number one. Yeah. <laughs> so so anyway, I'm I'm super excited about this coming out, and uh, I, I love the way it turned out. And I do too. I, so I'm just looking here. So Randy Roos plays on First Creation. Yeah, and that which, and that's a tune I wrote when I was a student at Berkeley uh, in 70, 78, 79. Okay. And I performed it with one of my Berkeley bands back then. And then when I got the gig with Randy, we. Uh, we we played that in his band and Victor and Victor. So I'm gonna I'm gonna dedicate that song to Victor Bailey because he he was the guy that played that that bass line and uh, oh really and uh, that thing that goes and Victor yeah, just played it so beautiful. That. I'd never heard anybody play it like that. And it's just the way he played it was just amazing. And of course, you know, two years later he's playing with Weather Report. You know, so. I saw that band too one yeah. time with Omar and him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a great band. You know, so he was. Uh, so I'm I'm gonna you know he passed away a few years ago too and uh, I'm gonna dedicate that song to him uh, on the record. So that's great. But he was in the the Boston area for a long time, wasn't he? Well, he came he came to Berkeley like the same year I did, like seventy seven, seventy eight, and mm-hmm. I I saw him just walking around the halls of Berkeley. He he never played with anybody. He just always had his bass, and he would come listen to people rehearse, and everybody knew who he was, but nobody ever heard him. And then the first time I heard him was when I got hired by Randy Roos, and there was Victor Bailey, and he played, and we were no just kidding. like, "Oh my!" This 
this kid is unbelievable, you know? Yeah. He just had all this stuff, and he's from Philadelphia. And, okay. And, uh, it, he just had all this stuff. And then, uh, yeah, with and within two years, he left Boston, and he got the gig with with uh, Weather Report, and he, he was off and running, you know? So, and originally, that's another, really sad, I, was, I was wanting him to play on that tune. Sure. When I started, you know, started this thing a few years ago, and, uh, and he, he, he got really sick and, and passed yeah. away, sadly. But, uh, but anyway, I want to... Uh, but Ev- Evan Marion is playing bass on that, and he does amazing, amazing. That guy, man, I. We could divert into many things, but I just yeah. say real quick. I, I just happen to remember I also saw another version of Weather Report called Weather Update. The oh, difference yeah. was Wayne wasn't there, Steve Kahn was playing. Oh, okay. So yeah. it's Erskine, that time, yeah. Steve Kahn. They did a very short tour, and that was it. Um, but Victor was on the band. That's right. So I still, actually yeah. got to see Victor two times. That's right. Um, you just an amazing, amazing guy. So, anyway, that yeah, that tune and the other tune I d- the tune Carry On, which uh, I have a video for that that one. Uh, I, you know, is dedicated to Alan. It, originally, I was going to have Alan play a solo on it, and mm-hmm. and uh, that didn't happen. So now, as I, I play a solo, and then Jimmy Johnson plays a solo on it, and that one's dedicated to Alan. I can hear. First of all, the the Carry On those two words itself is. Well, that, that, was, that's that was Alan. Alan's phrase. He he that's always like a thing. He, he hated saying goodbyes. He was such a lovely man, so lovely person. He hated goodbyes. Yeah. And so you know, even at the end of the night, when we you know leave the leave the pub and go back to our hotel room, he would just say, he would never say goodbye. He said, "Well, carry on then." You know, or <laughs> at the end of the tour, you know, it's sort of an English thing. Yeah. I say, you know, a phrase. I guess, well, carry on. You know. Yeah, I can see him doing that and, too. And that was sort of his phrase, you know. So I, I uh, so when I did the video, I was I was hearing Alan telling me and Jimmy and Gary, "Well, you guys carry on, you know. <laughs> I'm I'm headed up here, and you guys yeah. carry on." So it's, it's sort of that. That's, that's, that's I, why I named it that. Yeah. Oh, I can. It, you know, I love that tune too. I love. Um, it's funny. I was laying in bed, and I usually I sleep very quickly. I'm gone, but mm-hmm. I put this on several nights now. Um, and that that tune will come on. The first time I heard it, you know, I didn't have any of the liner notes or anything. I wasn't sure who was on it, but I pretty quickly picked out Gary Husband because Gary is. Well, that's the other thing too is each yeah. of these players has very distinct as you it's do. Amazing. You are you play just like Steve Hunt, right? <laughs> you have an identity. I'm trying to change that, but I'm trying to get better no. than Steve Hunt. But I'm practicing. No, no, you. Still. Uh, um, but the 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 voice that people, you know, Vinny, Virgil Donati, he's got a very specific each, thing. Each like Jimmy Haslop told me a long time ago, he says, man, this guy likes, did like a thing. He has his thing. It's, and, and they all, and, and all these, does. all these musicians, I, I gave him the truck and uh, I, I, I mean, I gave him like next to nothing as far as instructions. <laughs> I said, Here's the truck, you know, and I had, my own envision of what you know because i had drum machines or whatever i played to in my little thing or and then they would send something back and it was just like it was just incredible and so when gary came back and and of course gary has that beautiful tom kind of orchestration thing oh it's beautiful and and he just orchestrated i was just like i was i i so, so jimmy did his bass part first he sent it over and that solo he plays is just like classic jimmy johnson totally and then i sent it to gary in england and he recorded it when he sent it back i I put it up on my speakers and and listen and I, I was in tears because I was like oh. it was 
that sound was like, I remembered that sound from like, uh, you know, from uh, 25 years ago or, or more, or it's more than 30 years ago when we used to play together. Yeah. And uh, that sound, and that sound was like fresh and it just sounded this, we had that same kind oh, of, man, but Al Alan was missing, yeah. you know, but the spirit was still there and the way Gary just orchestrates and plays and he listens to you and, and Jimmy's just, just a solid player and so musical things amazing, you know? So anyway, so, uh, yeah, so that's, well, I love, yeah, I love how, um, it starts with that. And, and he said that the most beautiful Tom sounds too, they're oh. so full and rich and the way he orchestrates and then it goes into the, the groove. Yeah. And, and so I'm laying in bed. Okay. That's Gary. And I'm thinking kind of sounds like Jimmy Johnson. And then when he starts a solo, it's you, no. there's no doubt. Yeah. You know, and, that's Jimmy. It's it amazes me how Jimmy can just, um, He's way up here. He's way down here. He's way back, and he just uses the whole neck, man. He, it, he uses the whole range and of his instrument, yeah. so fluidly, so beautifully. Yeah, he, he hears uh, he hears harmony and chords as the whole thing. And then, yeah. I mean, he's one of these like uh, special bass players that he's always playing the bass, the bottom. But there's without you knowing it, there's other harmony and stuff going on all the time. He there were really quick story. He, uh, of course, when I was with Alan's band, there, there was no charts. Alan, he didn't know how to write music, and so that we we didn't have any charts. So we all we had to scratch out our own charts. So I have a bunch of my cheat sheets, you know, with just scribbles on it to remind me mm -hmm. what voicing I'm playing and whatnot. And then uh, one one day we saw me and Alan saw Jimmy's little booklet thing, and so we opened it up and. Page after page was the title of the tune, and then it was just letters. Oh, really? Just letters on the thing. No, no bar lines. No, no symbol of the chord. It was just a B flat, you know, F, and then whatever. Just letters through the whole thing. Wow. And then, but and I, so I asked Alan. I said, did, did did he ever ask you what type of chord that was? Like, and Alan goes, no. <laughs> he ju he just knows. And I was like, oh my. I mean, it wouldn't say it wouldn't say F minor or major seventh or flattest it had no information it was just letters mm -hmm. and jimmy just he just hears the harmony and and when you do an arpeggio or a scale run or anything he knows what the harmony is in fact on mm -hmm. carry on i i don't i don't even think i gave him a chart because what happened was i sent him the tune to ask him if he wanted to do it and then before i know before i was able to give him a chart he sent back to his, his solo he goes hey, what do you think of this i'm like I didn't even give you a chart and he and he figured out all the, the changes and the scales and the harmony and just played it and i'm like oh cool. you know it was like it was like back in those old days nobody nobody told anybody what what the chords were you just you had to hear it and you play it you know so yeah jimmy's kind of special like that so it's my, my son and i went to a clinic in uh buffalo it was chad jimmy and alan it was really really cool because they were answering questions and playing and then the next next night they played at the 12th you've you've probably played oh, yeah, at the 12th yeah, before yeah yeah uh but we were talking to um chad and well all three of them afterwards but mostly jimmy johnson and my son said well when are you going to put out your own cd he says i see no need for that I'm I'm a side man, and I'd prefer to that's keep what, it that way. That's what that's the that sounds so much like Jimmy. I, you know, I think I asked him the same thing. He's like, mm, I don't think so. He's with his chin. 
He's like, I'm not well, good, you know. But he, he does have a he did have his own band called Flim and the BBs, which is mm-hmm. it was a sort of a dual band with a keyboard player in that in that group. But uh and I think that was his name, Flim. So Flim and the BBs. It was sort of his band, but uh mm-hmm. I remember yeah, them. He, yeah. He doesn't I don't think he has any solo CDs out or anything or he he goes well, he, he told me he goes out uh playing those rumbly low notes, that's sort of my thing. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> And he does it really well. So anyway, I was I was happy he would. Uh, he's on two tracks on this one, so I was happy. To get yeah, him. yeah, he's um, on the next one, the Quantum Entanglement. Yeah, um, love that. You know, and well, you toured and played with those guys a lot, and so that your chemistry. I know you're doing things in different places because of COVID and whatever, but still the chemistry's there, man. The magic exactly. is there. Every well, song I, has its magic. And I had no doubt about these guys. That's the that's the beauty of these caliber of guys is I just send them the the files to play to. And like like Chad, he played on this song and he played on the the Cherokee Morning song. And yes. they ju- they just send back. It's just like Chad is is just an incredible musician and and orchestrator as well and and that that album he did with Alvin that uh, road games or something i the first thing i thought was like way what back an orchestrator right? yeah mm-hmm. like with, with uh, jeff Tokyo dream is on it and, and i was and, just um, i was just i was just amazed at chad's playing the way he the way he used the drum set and different things as as more of an orchestral orchestrator thing and and the way he played all this stuff and and then when i i got to play with him and i was bad i realized like how he plays is like this I always think about Chad like uh, I, I got this thought about Chad as he he never wows you in the first two measures or even in the first song. Mm-hmm. But if, if you spend the whole night with Chad and you listen to the whole night from beginning, you, you leave the place and you just go. That, that's the most incredible thing I've heard. What in my just life. happened? It's, it's yeah. like uh, I, I, I related to like going to see a Beethoven symphony. Mm-hmm. If you walked in and you just heard you know, a uh, first section of uh, one of the movements and walked out, you wouldn't really think anything because it just sounds mm-hmm. like, but when you hear a Beethoven symphony from first movement all the way to the end, you walk out just changed. And, and Chad's playing is like that. It's very orchestral. It's very orchestrated. It's very thought out. And there's there's nothing that just wows you right at the moment. But when you take it all in, so if you listen to that song, uh, the other tune he played on the, the Cherokee morning song. Uh, listen to that about for, 20 times so for, far yeah, in the past five days. days. And you listen from Chad. He he doesn't play anything super technical yeah. at any place. But you listen to it from beginning, and you just listen to Chad from beginning, you just go, what did I just experience with him? It's like yeah. he's, he's got that special knack of just knowing how to make these long arcs of orchestrations and, and fly. It's, it's, it's really cool. So I'll, uh, yeah, again, I'm I'm so happy to have him. Yeah, like you said, every, everybody has their own voice on it and contributed their individual thing to it, and uh, just it's I'm just thrilled <laughs> to, to death with all that. Well, you know, um, that's part of what happened the night that I saw Alan the first time in the fall of '86. It's like a jazz series they ran here. Frank Malfatano, a good friend, just lives up the road here, does the jazz fest. He's been doing that for about 40 years. It's great. You know, he had. Mahavishnu came in with Danny Gottlieb on drums and uh, oh, um, Jonas Helborg. Oh, uh, that version of in the yeah. same, you know, the same. Uh, every couple of weeks there was some Miles Davis. Uh, I can't remember who else right now, but 
when I saw Alan with Chad and Jimmy, that combination was, I, I left, I, I left on the intermission, just went outside thinking how cerebral everything sounded to me, like from everybody really. And Chad just tied it all in together. But it, it wasn't like he was thinking in, in phrases of four bars yeah. or eight bars. This it's is a, more like a very long phrase. That, that's the way Chad is. It's, and, it, and I, it changed how I look at music. It changed. I was in a band at the time. Oh, God, I, I played so horribly for the situation, but I really wanted to play like Chad. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm coming around and crashing on two instead of one because I want to go over the bar line. It was completely inappropriate, but actually nobody cared. <laughs> so I did it because so I didn't get it. fired. And yeah. dancers were dancing or whatever, you know. But yeah. But it, it changed how I looked at things. But Alan changed me too. Jimmy, Jimmy, you've changed how I look at things. And the one thing I was talking with a friend of mine, I don't know if you know uh, Andrea Marcelli. He's oh, yeah. from Italy, but he lives in Berlin. Yeah, but all these little, okay, yeah. And actually, Alan plays on. I think he's on one of his records or something. Yeah. It, or Silent Will is the name of Bob Berg, okay. mm -hmm. Mike Stern, Alan Holsworth. So. Uh, I've known Andrea for a while. He went to New York City a few years ago and went down to meet him and hang out. And he was saying how it, this is uh, meant to be a compliment to all of you is mm -hmm. that how difficult it can be in this world right now to actually establish your own voice. Yeah. Because I think that's part of the problem that I had and we don't need to go into that. But I love it when you can hear John Schofield and you know in two notes, this is John Schofield. Or this is, you know, this is Chad. You can't mistake yeah. it. Yeah, Jimmy exactly. John, uh, Jimmy um, Johnson, Jimmy Haslip too on the Cherokee, and the way he's he's this way though. So he's, you just know, and I, I love that. I think it's a beautiful thing to be able to establish. And of course, Alan, you know, is Alan. So all of you have this unique, special, individual voice, which I, I appreciate so much too. That you, you're being authentic. When you play, it's authenticity.com. I love it. Yeah, I think that uh, that whole thing, I, I teach at Berkeley College of Music, so I, I teach, I've been teaching a lot of students over the last 25 years. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's the ones that want to really play and go go out and do something on their own. You know, I, I always have a conversation with them about that. And, uh, and so it's, uh, it's, it's, you can't really teach it. You know, and I can't show them how to be themselves. Exactly. So we, you know, we can talk about it. And uh, um, I mean, e even the people that we that we look up to, they learn from someone else. You know, like like say Chick Corea. You you know, it's the same thing. When Chick plays, you know him. You know. Yeah. But yeah. But he talks about he talks about the people he learned from. You know, Bill Evans and and McCoy Tyner and those guys. And sure. even Herbie Hancock was before him. So he. And so then you, you go back and listen to shit, and it's like, oh, oh yeah, I can hear I can hear McCoy right there, right, right. And then, oh yeah, the, those that voicing sequence that's that's right out of Bill Evans, you know. So even though these guys have a voice, is it's, it's got to come from somewhere, you know. So exactly, yeah. It's interesting, because, yeah, because like so, and I, I mean this with total respect because um, first of all you have your own voice and everyone on this CD does too. But I also hear elements of things that are they're like reminders to me, like almost like paying homage to Joe Zolinol, uh, I mean, to, he, um, he, to me, he's the, he's the, uh, 
the king on the mountain. That yeah. Joe, Joe <laughs> is the top, you know. Love that guy. Uh, and man. I have all all my other influences too, but Joe, I just it, he was just a big big influence on me. And like uh, uh, even when I played with Allen's band, I a lot of times I would think of Joe, you know. Sure. Like it, it, it kind of fit with that, but but anyway, yeah. So. Well, it's yeah, interesting because I've throughout the uh, this these songs that I've heard, I'll hear the quintessential Steve Hunt and how you you write and as far as how I identify with that because you know like you say you have a couple songs on Secrets you got um, uh, Warden Dodgy Boat one of my favorite songs I love that one I love how Gary opens it there's a, there's a funny story to that it's <laughs> so funny it's, it's great and not, not funny i said what you said by mistake i don't know how but no it's so cool it's a strong beautiful and i love how it builds that song but but also then i'll hear like again just finishing my thought isn't this the what you sent me i hear just hear little uh reminders of things that are brought into so like you say you hear different influences here and there but i love the the, the individual voice factor too so I'm sorry. Did you say there's a song, uh, a story about Dodgy Boat? Oh, and it, well, the, just the just that beginning of it because I I was in the studio when Gary was recording that, and I had uh, uh, I had this idea of what I wanted for the intro, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, so I was trying, and he's, "What do you want?" I'm like, "Just you know," and I had this idea for it, and then he he just you know it would just he'd do something he just didn't like, it, you know, and then I think I think he just got fed up. He was just like, just roll the tape or whatever, you know. And then he played that. He <laughs> just, and it was more out of, I, think, I don't know what it was out of, you know, like just just like I want to do something, you know. And then Alan goes, oh, I like that, you know, like, oh, I like, and we all like, it was just the way it came out, you know. And then everybody loves that intro. It's just so different, you know. But there was, there was a little thing that was happening before, you know, before that. You just couldn't get that, you know. I just, I wanted something out front, you know, like that kind of thing, but. Well, I love did that. It, it was just it was a it was kind of a cool thing, but uh, so That's some, a, somebody told me once they they said because uh, I mean Alan is another one. Of my I was a big fan. I went to see all the shows in Boston before I even met him. Mm-hmm. My my band actually opened up for him, and when it was uh, Paul Williams was still singing in band. Oh, Chad and Jimmy Paul Williams and Alan, and my group uh, they had Jimmy Earl in it and and oh, Bruce wow. Martin, the local guitar player. And Ed Ubibi, the drummer, we, we opened up, and uh, we were nervous as heck. But um, um, we and, and I think it was in Salem, Massachusetts, right outside of Boston. And uh, but I w- we were so excited, and Alan didn't. They didn't get to hear us play because they were stuck in a storm coming from New Jersey, so we had to play extra long. And uh, but uh, it was fun. And then afterwards, I, I was so nervous to. I never even went and talked to Alan because I was. I, I, he, I saw him standing there. I was too nervous to even go talk, say something to him. I was just, <laughs> I told my wife, look, look that, that's Alan Holsworth. He's the greatest in the world, you know. And so I never even went and talked to him is the funny thing. And then a few years later, I was actually in the band. So it's kind of funny. But I, I was a huge fan of Alan's and stuff, you know, before uh, before I even joined the band. You know, so, See, that's but cool. Somebody told me once, they said, you know, I, I can tell the difference between your songs and Alan's. Your songs sound sunshiny and happy. And Alan's <laughs> songs are a little darker and grayer. I can see where, uh, yeah, I can see and that. And I'm, think, I'm thinking, wow, that, that's that's uh, that's an amazing, like, because I grew up in Texas, 
mm-hmm. and and I had a, a great life. I, I had no problems growing up and plenty of where? sunshine. I was a happy guy, you know. In where te- in Texas? De- like, uh, well, I was born in Oklahoma, uh, but I uh, grew up in the southern, southern part of Texas, like in the Galveston, Houston area, oh, down sure. on the coast, okay. a mm-hmm. little town called Lake Jackson. And, uh, but I, I got a, a chance to, to go to Allen's town where he grew up in, Bra- in Bradford, uh, England. Right. And uh, right next to Leeds where Gary grew up. And I was there for a week and we got to hang out and, and, but it was always gray and pissing it down as he says, rain, raining and gray. <laughs> and, oh man. And Alan had, he had uh, an, an interesting, you know, childhood and stuff is, yeah. so you can see, you can see that in his music, you know, like there's a little, a little mystery in there, a little, a little grayish, you know, but beautiful, beautiful, but there's some kind of pain in there a little bit here and there. And, uh, Minor, minor, just ha- happy little tunes, you know. But I, <laughs> I was influenced by his writing, you know. But I had, I can't go that, that gray and rainy, you know. Mine always have to be a little brighter and happier. So it's funny that they, they got that person uh, kind of realized that, as you, you know, we're talking about being ourselves, you know. You, if you if you're not that, people, I think they notice that, you know. It's, if you're not yourself, it's not that you're not influenced or you don't pick up things. But in the end, you have to be, you know, yourself and yeah. do what you like, you know? Exactly. Um, I'm curious, and, and not, not that it matters, but I am curious. Um, when you were uh, going to Alan's show, it's like when you opened for him, for example. Yeah. You said Paul Williams was still on the band? Yeah, at that time and, he was Paul. Yeah, they were just doing, I think they had just recorded the Metal Fatigue album. And Okay. Um, who else was on the band? That was it was Chad it was Chad and Jimmy. Oh, okay. So All it was right. that it was that uh that album, you know. And, yeah, I love that album. Uh, That's the first one I listened to the day after I saw him when I went out and bought it. They only had three of his things there, so I bought the three they had. Yeah. Uh and I I, I put that one on first. Um it's funny because I talking with you, talking with Gary Husband, who I've gotten to know over the past couple of years and such a great guy he was telling me stories about john mclaughlin and how that relationship started and there's just some of the stories are really funny from everyone i talk to and i love it you know because i we'll we'll see you as well i saw you on stage it was awesome i love your recordings but we know there's a life that happens too like how did you know the story about gary walking into the studio and putting headphones on john mclaughlin's head and hitting play (laughs) Yeah, it's like, it's kind of like his audition, and John didn't know it was going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> so funny! My gosh, well, I love I, these I, little I can, stories. I can tell you how how I met Alan, and like I, I want to ask that too. Yeah, how did this yeah. come to be? Where you met him, and then you you're on the band. How did this happen? Well, to uh, to kind of lead up to that, I I've never auditioned for a band in my life, except for this one wedding band that I auditioned, I, I didn't have much work, so I, I got a little sticker and I auditioned for a wedding band. And then I actually got the gig, but then she fired me before the first gig that happened. Cause she was like, I don't think you're gonna stick around long, are you? I'm like, maybe not, you know. So anyway, <laughs> everything else was just, you know, this, this idea of connections with this record. Everything else, like with Randy Roos, it was just a connection. You know, he, he called me and said, I want you to be in my band cause Frank Wilkins heard you and he said, 
you need to be in my band. I didn't even have to audition. And so he, he trusted. And then uh, when I went to play with uh, Tom Brown, uh, that was my first big gig in New York. And, uh, you know, Jamaica Funk, if you know that. I'm not familiar Jamaica with the Queens. Music, yeah. yeah, okay. He was yeah. A, a trumpet player. And uh, he, uh, he, same thing. He said, oh, I, I heard you play and I want you to come. So I played in his band. And then uh, when I got to play with Billy Cobham, it was just the people in his band knew me, like Baron Brown and Dean Brown oh, yeah. and, and Saw Davis and those guys. And Billy wanted a new, another keyboard player. So Billy calls me up one day and oh. and says, hey, I want you to play, you know, which is a, a kind of a funny story on the side. He, he, he refers to himself as Bill Cobham, not Billy. Mm-hmm. But we all know him as Billy. Mm-hmm. So he calls me up and he says, this is 1985 and no answer. So I said, hello. And he says, hi, this is Bill Cobham. And I got your number to, and he's talking to me, and I'm like, I interrupted. Him. I said, who, who, "Who is this?" He's like, uh, B- "Bill, Bill Cobham," <laughs> and I got your number. For, and I, I think at least twice, maybe three times, I, I just kept, "Oh, okay, who, who, so who is this again?" And then he's like, uh, "The drummer, Bill Cobham." You know, I got your number from Jerry Atkins, and and then I go like <laughs> like an idiot. I go. Oh, Billy, Billy Cobham. Oh, hey, thanks for calling. <laughs> and he goes, uh, yeah, Bill, Bill Cobham. And anyway, <laughs> I, and I was like, I was like, oh my God, Billy Cobham. Oh God, me. that's like. And so, so I got the, my, but I just got his gig because his his bandmates like referred me, and I didn't have to oh, audition. Wow. And then, so and Baron was, was on that band, Baron Brown. Baron Brown, yeah, and okay. it was Baron Brown, Saw Davis, and uh, Dean Brown was playing guitar, and Jerry Atkins oh. was playing the other keyboards. Oh, wow. And so I, I did like a half a year with him. I, we toured Europe and the States, and that was a lot of fun. I mean, it was just crazy, you know, two keyboard players. He loved he loved having two keyboard players in the band. Mm-hmm. So, but, uh, and then after that, I, that's when I became the musical director for the Jazz Explosion. Mm-hmm. And that came, that came through f- from a connection of the guy that started that thing, the Jazz Explosion, the thing, the thing you went to see too. Uh, with the all stars, oh, right, right, yeah, so same guy, and and I joined up that band, and then when I became the musical director, the artists that that were on the the roster, they they had to use our trio, which is me and Jimmy Earl, and a drummer in New York, and they couldn't bring their own bands, right? So, uh, so they uh, they used us, and then uh, one of the artists was like, there's artists like Freddie Hubbard and Stanley Turrentine and. Charles oh, wow. Hyman and uh, one of the artists, uh, Ramsey Lewis. That was so. Cool. Oh, really? No kidding. And uh, yeah, it was just all these great artists. No pointer. Uh, it was it was a cool thing. And then one of the artists was Stanley Clark, and he didn't have a band at the time, so he was just doing a solo thing. So he would come up and do solo. And then one day he said, "Hey, why don't you guys come up and play with me?" And so we came up. We did school days and some jams. Oh, wow! And then he was he was like, you know, I want. I'm gonna take you and Jimmy Earl on the road, and we're gonna go tour. And then he, he got his old bandmate Jerry Brown, the drummer. I and, I and talked with Jerry with last spring, uh, at oh, the beginning of COVID. He's great. And that was we had band. a blast. It was no kidding. So you, Jimmy Earl and Jerry Brown, <laughs> and we we toured in in '85, '86. Oh wow. '87, and then in '87 there was this this is kind of a a funny story because this is how I met Alan because uh, in '87. Uh, Stanley called me, and I have I had three little kids, and my wife's a nurse and working full time, and 
you know, I don't do much because I'm a musician. But anyway, Stanley calls me and says, hey, Steve, we're going to do this big tour in Europe. We get this massive tour, 10 weeks, two and a half months, and we're going to go through every, it's going to be really great. So I'm just calling to see if you can do it. And I'm like, wow, I, you know, I just, you know, I, I have to talk to my wife because it's a long time to be away from home, and we got three mm -hmm. little kids. And, mm -hmm. and I said, uh, I said, this is, sounds great, but let me just talk it over with my wife. And he goes, oh, that's, that'd be great, man. I hope you can do it. And, oh, by the way, uh, Alan Holsworth is going to be opening up on the whole tour with us. And I, I said, excuse me? Oh, wow. He goes, oh, yeah, Alan's going to be on the whole tour with us. He'll be opening up for our shows the whole two and a half months. I'm like, really? Like his band? He's, and, and then I just said, Oh yeah, yeah! I can do the tour. I can do the tour, Stanley. No problem. He goes, <laughs> he goes. Do, do you need to talk to your wife? I'm like, nah. She's she's gonna be fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> she's gonna be fine. And I was like, oh my, this is my chance to meet, you know, one of my wow. hero, Alan Holdsworth. So, so uh, that's a great story. I love and that. So, so I wow. show up on this tour, and there's Alan, and I'm like starstruck. I'm like. I'm playing with Stanley, which is the big hero, but here's Alan too. So, so me and Alan would hang out a little bit. And then he was playing, when you saw that show with him, because uh, I saw the same show in 86 when he was opening up for Chick. Mm -hmm. And he was playing the Synthax. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And when, when he took a solo on the Synthax, you heard some chords behind there. There were like mm -hmm. chords happening, but there's no keyboard player. Right. And I didn't know how, I thought there was a special thing in the Synthax that did, I didn't know how that worked. Well, it turned out that it was a little cassette tape that they made, and there was a click track on it with a tambourine on one side. On the other side was Alan playing the synth chords that he recorded, wow. pre-recorded. And they ran that one side with the click track into Chad's monitor, and the other side with the chords, they ran it back into Alan's rig. So no kidding. They would have to start the, Chad would have to start the tape, and it would go tink, 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 and they would have to play that song exactly every night. So like uh, Looking Glass and mm -hmm. uh, Non-Brood Condiments, all these tunes with the syntax, he would have to play. And they hated it, they absolutely, because they couldn't change the form. He couldn't play an extra chorus of solo. Sure, and, you know, sure. If they got off a little bit, it would be, you know, it, it would be a disaster. So they, they all hated it. And so, so that's what they were doing on that tour with Stanley. And then after about a week, Alan said, because all my stuff would be set up. And Alan was like, hey, do you want to come in and join us so we can like get rid of this bleeping, bleeping cassette player that <laughs> bleepy, bleep you hate? You know, it's like, and I'm like, I'm like, yeah. So he, he wrote out some little changes for me and, and I, <coughs> I, me. I rehearsed with him on the sound check. And then so for the rest of that tour, I would, I would go and play four or five tunes with Alan. Wow, and man. And my that's... keyboard set up. And then, they would tear down, and then I'd play the rest of the night with with Stanley, and and it was just so mad. I was like, I was just in heaven, you know, the whole time. Oh, that and had, and then so, and so the, at the end of the tour, like Alan just looked at me, he goes, "Hey, you want to come on the road with us in September?" I'm like, "Yeah, sure." <laughs> and and my friend here, Bruce Bartley, who's the local guitar player, he's a, he's a great guitar. We we used to listen to Alan's music all the time together, and. I sent him a postcard from France or wherever I was. I just sent him a postcard. And the only thing it said on the postcard was, I got the gig. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and man. I sent it to him. And I think he still has that on the wall somewhere. No kidding. That is but so I cool. I got the gig. So that's how I got the gig with that. I mean, it's, uh, and that, and it's a testament to this, this title of my new record, Connections, because it's sure. just, 
you know, one connection after another like that that just led me to that. And uh, so anyway, so that's, uh, uh, yeah, it's it kind of <laughs> an interesting way. Like, no, I never had to audition, which is great because I, I, would, I would probably never get a gig in my life if I actually had to audition. <laughs> messing everything well, up. Takes, but, uh, you know, it's, it goes to show also that, um, and this has happened to me, in the, in the, not in the music world, but a little bit at a different level, but in the work that I do, uh, neurologists and Parkinson's and research and whatever, it's mm -hmm. just, you just, if you keep your, your, your eyes and ears and doors open and look for windows open and possibilities exist sometimes they find you and sometimes you just have to be ready to receive them and that just sounds right. like a situation where you know i want to play a few tunes with us or get rid of this bleeping thing and i mean what a great opportunity right and then it leads to this long relationship which actually i wanted to ask you and uh not not to bring up anything let's say uh sad or bad um but i was just on youtube the other day i i've seen this before but i realized that um you were working you, you were on gigging with alan and evan and virgil like two weeks or maybe a little less than that before he passed is that yeah I, you you I'm, really I, had I a long relationship with him for for, for geez, 10, almost yeah, 30 years him were, it seems were, and, and we're good friends that we, we spoke a lot after that and mm -hmm. uh I, I never played with him after 95 or 96 when it was the last tour i did mm -hmm. but I, I never played he played on my first record that from yeah, uh, I tune ring it out, oh, and yeah, he played on that, that song. I yeah. love that. Oh, thanks. I love that's the song I was thinking of. I couldn't. Yeah, I love that song so much. My oh, son does you. too. We just love it. I was so happy he was able to. And it was that last band that it was Schooly and Chad and me and Alan. It was the last band that I was I played with Alan mm -hmm. in like '85 or '86, and um, so that was uh, that was really special that those guys were able to do that. And it was the first time really. Just to go off the, the sure. beaten path here, it's the first time really that I had I built my own studio and and where we could start sending. We didn't have the internet, but we had those ADAT cartridges. Oh uh, yeah, I don't remember. Yeah. And they were, I remember you could, that. Yeah, you could buy them for twenty or thirty bucks, and they they worked great. And it was digital, and so I was able to do all this stuff, and then I'd send the drums, uh, send the tracks to Chad when in actually he lived in australia then so i had to send it to oh, australia right right and he recorded the drums and sent them back to me and then schoolie was in new york and i sent him the thing and then i sent then i sent it to alan in california and he was able to he had an adap player so he did his solo and sent it back and wow. i remember the day he sent it back it was just like uh i just listened to it but by itself without without the music and i'm like mm -hmm. just mind blown it's just perfection right there you know and then when i put it to the track it was it was that thing but uh that's a beautiful song oh thank you so much yeah um yeah. So, I, so actually I, I lost my train of thought about where we were going with it well i was thinking of um the video i saw on youtube was early oh, yeah. early april the same month that he passed away in 2017 yeah. so yeah and so I, so I, I you were there though I, i'm pretty sure you're off yeah the video i mean I, i'm not i'm not a big believer in this the spiritual thing like this but you know something sometimes things happen and you think about that because uh yeah, I'd never played. I hadn't played with Alan uh, from from like 80, uh, 95, 96 until maybe two years before that point. And mm -hmm. uh, and that's the band was Jimmy Haslip and and Virgil. Yeah, and it was two years before that, before his death. And okay. uh, they were they were they played down 
in Florida somewhere, and it's where my brother, my older brother lives in Clearwater, Florida. Okay. And they had a show there, so I, I said, I'm going to go down and see him. So I, I called up my brother and said, I'm, I'm flying down there, on, and I'm, we're going to go see that show together. It's, it's in your hometown, and it's like, this will just be fun. So, yeah. so, I, so I called up Virgil, and I said, hey, I'm, I'm going to come see you guys in Florida, you know. And then Virgil was like, oh, oh you're going to be there, mate? He goes, oh, you're going to sit in then. you got to sit in. I'm like, I haven't played this music in you know, 20 years, 25 years. And, and he's like, oh, don't worry about it. We'll just play, you know. And so he sent me some of the stuff they're playing. They played Texas. I had to learn that one. And a oh, yeah, other sure. Ones. And then we played Proto and, and some of the old other ones that I remember. Oh, Proto Cosmos. Proto Cosmos and, yep. and some other ones. And so I went down uh, I went down there and I saw them there and I hung with Alan and, and, I, and I sat in with them. It was, a, it was a blast, you know, it was good. And it, it was the first time I'd played with them in like 25 years or whatever. And yeah, uh, it was, it was, it was, it was interesting, you know. I was the, the emotions of being back on stage with Alan, you know. And sure. I had this keyboard that barely worked, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> We're in the best situation with that, but uh, but anyway, it was, it was like it was kind of cool. And but I I knew Alan was not feeling well, and he's uh, he was not happy with the way his life was going during that time. And mm-hmm. and we, we had a, we had a, a sort of a heart to heart talk at the end of that. And uh, but in, and that's the last time I saw him. And then. Uh, and then he called me up that right before those those dates you're talking about. And he said, "Hey, listen, I, g- I got this uh, new compilation of all the CDs coming out." And he put out uh, Idolon, I think it is. It has mm-hmm. some things on it. He goes, "I, w- I want to kind of promote it, you know, but you want, but I, you know, I, he says I can't. I hadn't played in a while, and and do you want to come out and help me out?" I said, "Yeah, I'll come out, you know." Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he, he had they worked out a few dates and stuff and then but then then he sort of in a in a typical Allen way he 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 goes oh let's not you know forgive me it's too much trouble for you don't because oh, yeah. you know, <laughs> there wasn't really any money involved but I, I said I really want to come out so I talked to Virgil and Virgil said no you're gonna come we're gonna make it happen Virgil is he goes yeah. you coming out he goes we're gonna do this and I I'm like okay so I came out and we actually did a rehearsal and uh, it was it was really cool, and we played Pudwood and all the oldies and some new ones. Yeah, and, uh, uh, you know, I mean, and, and Alan wasn't doing really well, but we played and we we did three shows, mm-hmm. and uh, that last one was in Venice. Uh, and Evan Marion was on bass, right? And Evan yeah. Evan, Evan that's the first time Evan had played with, with Alan. And, oh uh, no, kidding! Jeez, so, man. Uh, so and Virgil got him hooked up, and I knew Evan from Boston when, when he was younger, and he, he came to my studio a couple of times and stuff. I see. And I played with him, but uh, but he came out and did that, and uh, so it, so we held it together, and uh, uh, we did those those three shows, and they did one. I had to come back home, but they did one more show, and uh, without me, and then I talked to Alan on that Wednesday, and then mm-hmm. on Easter he passed away. You know, the day before Easter he passed away, so it was. Yep. It was really traumatic, you know. It, it just, but I, I was so thankful that, I mean, again, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not a believer in the the spiritual kind of like it, God put us together. Like it was but meant it, to be, or something. Like I, I was, understand yeah, that. But, yeah, but but there was there was something. It's like you know, like I I got to go back and spend time with, and we hung out a little bit and talked, and uh, and we got to play one last time together. I'm really glad and, you did, though. And, I'm glad you got uh, to do that. 
and and uh, the other guys they 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 didn't get that opportunity and you know I and I feel fortunate I, I was able to go back during that time and and we were supposed to play in New York with Alan like like a month later we lined up something at the Iridium. But, I uh, I was gonna go actually because yeah, we I did we did we still did it the gig as a tribute thing and. Right. There was okay. four four great guitar players, all amazing. Tim Miller and a few others. Oh yeah, all the the best great. And that, but it took four guitar players to cover <laughs> Alan's chair. Yeah, right. and and they all admit that too. You know, so each one of them did two songs. Sure. And, yeah, uh, or maybe three. Yeah, maybe two or three songs. And but it took. I mean, that's when you realize, like, okay, Alan was like something else. It took that many guitar players just to cover what Alan would right. do in one night you know so but uh yeah that, that, it, it was really sad and um you know it's just the whole, the whole ending part but you know and i do you know uh leonardo moon june oh i i mean i i've met him a couple times and i yeah, i know he was the manager and for a while he's been a friend of mine he's for good, just a good guy good supporter of, of this music and everything very and, very much so yeah. um he's become a friend we anytime i go to new york we'd well, it used to be a whole lot when I was doing the, the neuro stuff down there, but we'd get together, have coffee, whatever, or he'd, all right. So just real quick, I remember the last time I saw Alan Holdsworth perform was at the Iridium, and I think it was in 2014, and it was oh, yeah. Jimmy and Gary. Jimmy Haslip, Gary husband on the band. And, right, yeah. Uh, Leonardo just, Leo just grabs me and he says, come with me, you'll sit with me. So he has a, a table there that's like yeah. his table. And um, we went over and sat down and had some wine and a few Baledo was there and some other uh, friends uh, were there. Then uh, but the last time I saw Alan was after that, uh, I went to see Virgil's band with um, Anthony Crawford and um, oh, yeah. it was just fabulous. And um, Did the that keyboard, night, keyboard uh, Leo, yeah. yeah, it was so, mm -hmm. Just the, the that uh, well, anyway, Leo grabs me to go over to the table, and he looks. He's looking at me. He says, "You know, Alan Holdsworth is upstairs at the bar. I'm trying to get him to come down, but he he's afraid to. And but he finally came down and he sat with us. And I thought that so this is like my moment where I I had met him before, but it's like a thirty second or a two minute thing max. You know, yeah. like it the dark uh, the something horse iron horse in uh, Northampton. Oh yeah, some there a few times. You've probably been there a few times. Yeah, we right? played there quite a few times too. Yeah, and you got the a small place, you like down you're in the basement was the men's room, and yeah. I caught him on the stairway, and I didn't really want to hold him up, but he seemed talkative. And anyways, uh, but this time he sat at the table. I actually got to tell him the story that I told you about going to see Chick Corea and wanting to leave after I saw yeah. you, Mister Holdsworth, and he what was interesting about us, he just kind of looked at me like I had three heads. I, I don't know what you're talking about. Why would you feel this way? <laughs> no, no, you don't understand, yeah. do you? <laughs> no, he was, he was very down to earth. You know, yeah. he, he, he hated, like sometimes we go in front of the, the, the club and it'd be a marquee with a thing and somebody would always write, you know, guitar God or king of this. And he always, he goes, oh, let's get rid of that. He always hated that, you know, and, uh, he, he was a, I mean, he was an icon to us, and he was our our God. You know, every, all of us band members were like, but he he never put himself on that level. No, he, he didn't. Was, he was always just one of the band guys, you know. But it was, 
it was Alan Holdsworth, for Christ's sake, you know. But he always, he he was just one of the band members. I mean, that's the way he 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 treated us, you know. And is like four guys, four equal guys. And yeah, it, it seemed like he. Um, and I don't know who told me this was uh, Jimmy Haslip or Gary, just saying we. To him, we were equals. We were just part of the same group. We played together. But yeah. Jimmy did tell me, though, Jimmy Haslip told me that one of the, f and this is actually kind of sad, though, in a way, um, but it seems like it's the quintessential Alan, is that Alan would, after a set or a show, come in, and the first thing he'd do in a dressing room was apologize for how he played. Did you ever experience yeah. that? Did I? <laughs> well, actually, the funny thing is, like, I mean, I, I, I have a little bit of that. No, actually, all the band members had a little bit of that in them. And and I was on that tour with Stanley. I was, I had a terrible night. Like, just nothing went right. I just couldn't, wasn't feeling it and messing up. And mm -hmm. so I came back. And Alan and, and Chad, and I was like, man, I, I'm so sorry, man. I just totally sucked. And I, I apologize. And Alan looked at me. He goes, and he looked at Chad. He goes, man, you're going to be perfect for our band, man. And I'm like, what? You know, I didn't really realize. <laughs> and I realized like I, that was like almost a criteria to be. You had, you had to apologize for your playing to be to be in Alan's band just so you could fit in, you know. So everybody was always apologizing if, after the set, you know. And oh Alan more than anybody. And it, but he, I think a lot of that he took. You know, it, I, it did affect him sometimes. But I would have to say, like on a, a tour, we do six weeks of a tour, and there would be. There, w there would be a lot of nights that one guy would feel good. You know, it'd be a night that, well, I felt good that night, you know. Mm -hmm. But the other three guys were like, ah, oh, you know. And it would be like that around about. But I would say, like, out of a six-week tour, there would be four or five nights that all four of us had a good night. We just all felt like that was a good night. And I don't I don't know if any of them were recorded or what, but that, those were special, you know. Imagine we play every night for six weeks. Oh, there's only a handful man. of gigs that we together we all everybody felt good alan's like oh i think that was a good night man <laughs> like yeah i felt you know everybody was happy like it was a rare moment i'd have to say because most times somebody would be just like you know they were always depressed you know and and uh, <laughs> we, we'd, sometimes we had we record people would record on a cassette tape and then the next morning you could see the you know the music, they come down for breakfast and their face is all droopy and they're and we go, oh, did you listen to the tape or something? <laughs> it's like, oh, oh my man. gosh, you know, it's that wow. kind of thing. And but, uh, but it, yeah. So, but Alan was he was always hard on himself, and uh, I think, uh, you know, I, I think, and I don't think his fans understood that, you know, like why, why he was never happy with himself, you know. I mean, mm -hmm. I, and I, I don't understand it either because if we, if any of us could play just a little finger's worth of what he could do, we think we'd be happy, you know. But mm -hmm. uh, one time he, but I, I think I kind of understand because he was never, I think all musicians, you're probably the same way. It's like, we're we're never happy where we're at. Yeah. Like, we we think we're going to be happy when we get to that level of the mountain, you know. And we get there, and then we're just like, well, whatever. But this, I can't do this yet. And then I'm so frustrated, you know. Yeah. And then you you get to that point and then you don't give yourself any credit because there's always another hill to climb like I you know and 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 most of us deal with it you know I, I always tell my students we usually musicians or they go down two tracks where 
we're the happiest and most uh, satisfied people in the world because we're doing what we love, but at the same time, we're the most miserable people because we can't do what we can do yet, what we want to do yet, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I heard Alan one time say, like, he goes, man, I'm, I'm hearing things man, I can't do yet, man. I'm just, and I was thinking, like, what, my, what, what is he hearing? Because I wonder what that's like. I'm, I know. I was like, Whoa. What, that, what, what must that be in his head? And of course, you know, on, on the next, next album, you would hear it. Like, mm-hmm. Wow, that's like so different from the album before. And he would always be hearing new things. And, and then he would be frustrated that he can't do that yet. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, I think we're, all musicians have that kind of that mental disorder, you know. Uh, so we don't give ourselves enough credit for what we can do at the moment. And I, th- I think he was like that. He was just on a bigger scale of that, you know, so. Uh, but I, I think, I think down, I think he knew that he could do things that were special and, and, and he wanted to do those, but he just, he just always has this drive. He always had this drive to like, and it really, that really inspired me to like, you know, with my comp, just writing and, and always growing and, and never giving up and continuing to be the best you can and and never be satisfied and go to the next level you know so i i still do that to this day you know i study classical music uh i've tried to seen some of your videos man i I love (laughs) i love it i think i saw one of you playing a a mendelssohn uh something uh, oh yeah there it is that's hard these are they're so really they're so hard for me these things but i I work him. T- I had to play the Bartok Sonata, which was amazing. Wow! And, uh, but uh, I played the Brahms Piano Concerto once with the oh orchestra. Man. The whole thing is is just wow. beautiful, you know. So, uh, so I try. I like to challenge myself for new things, and uh, and uh, this doing this record was a, a big challenge for me to put it all together and grab these tunes that I've been writing over the years and the musicians. And uh, I can't believe I did it in one year, you know, but. Uh, wow really one year that's fantastic basically yeah that's actually that's so that's great especially with the pandemic and uh i mean not that that necessarily matters because we've been transferring files forever right but but still pandemic and this and that and uh and and to to do it and i had you know some people didn't get back to me and then i thought it wasn't going to happen and then all of a sudden they get back to me like oh i was busy i'll do it and it would work out and everything kind of fell in place uh, um, the 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 genesis for I mean I always wanted to do this but it was uh, I went to California with with Virgil I forget it was maybe a couple of years ago or something and we w- then we went to Australia and Evan was on it and Alex Makachik was on that band oh yeah and we played the baked potato and oh, wow. uh, Jimmy Johnson came down so he I was like oh Jimmy so I was hanging out with him in that little have you ever been to the baked potato like uh, well, yes I was I was there. When I did my CD, I and went then, there with uh, Jeff Richman, oh, okay, yeah. Jeff, guitar player, who uh, to see uh, Lorber with uh, Steve Haas on drums and Jimmy Hazel was playing bass. So it's just one time sat at the bar, ate a big potato, a big, it's big always, potato. Yes, it's, that's that's <laughs> why cool I, I realized why they call it the baked potato. But with Jimmy was that we were hanging out in the little back area, mm-hmm. and uh, I was I was thinking about doing this thing, you know, and then. And I, I got a little. I wanted to ask Jimmy if he would be interested in recording a track. I got kind of nervous. I was like, and so I kind of like stuttered. And hey, Jimmy, listen. Uh, do you think you would? Would you want to like, you know, if I had a tune or something? And he goes, and he just interrupted me because he knew I was like hemming and hawing and 
and wick bock and uh, so he, he just interrupted me. He goes, he goes, send me something. Send it to me now. That's great, just, man. That's great. He's just like, I'm like, oh, okay. Oh, that'd be great. You know, like, and, and uh, so I, find, I finally put together that carry-on tune and the other tune he played on, and I sent yeah. it to him, and he got right back to it, and that's, that was sort of the genesis to get the whole, the spark that got the whole thing going. I said, okay, now I got to get uh, Chad and, and Gary to play on it, you know, and then the next tune came up, and, I'm, and the whole thing just kind of fell in place. And that one tune called uh, Memories of Sherwood. Oh, yeah. That's, uh, that is a tune. I, it was just a tune I had, like this groove thing. And, and I started kind of messing around with melody. And I wound up playing the melody that's on, uh, that, that, is, that is Made Marion on yes. Secrets. Yeah. I was going to ask you know. about that because I say it's a much slower, you know, broken down over more measures version of the melody of Maiden Marion. Yeah, it's like a, it's a it's a three kind of phrase. It just yeah, it, it expands the thing, you know. And so I was just I was just playing through that groove. This is before anybody was on it. I was just kind of working with it, and I had this, and then and, and, and it was in D flat. So I like I, I just started. I'm like, oh, this it'd be cool just to kind of announce that melody in this, you know. So the it's whole thing just kind of gave like that, but I didn't have a drummer on it yet, and. I was just working out on my little stationary bike in my studio, and and I'm thinking, like, who could I get, you know? And then the album came up, and I'm like, I wonder, if, I wonder if Vinny would do this, yeah, because he played on the original Made Marion. It's on Secrets, right? So I, that's, is that's on the Secrets album. Secrets album, yeah. yeah and, right. and Vinny plays amazing on that. And oh just, God! And I'm like, that's what I needed on this tune, just some free kind of like really extra stuff, you know? And then uh, so. I emailed him, you know, hey, Vinny, I don't know if you remember me, but we did that tour back in <laughs> <laughs> with Alan back in 89, and, and he got back, he goes, oh, those were special times, man, you know, and I said, do you want to, I'm sort of doing this remake of Maid Marian, and, and it, it, would it would be great to have you play on it, because you played on the original one, and blah, 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 I was, I was He loves doing those gigs, by the way. Now, I don't know him, and I've never spoken with him, but I've seen him speak about it. Yeah. Like with, uh, I don't know, Rick Beto and um, maybe uh, Dom Famularo and uh, other people. He's talked about how special that band was, which like, I've dug up. There's, a, there's a bootleg stuff. of one of those nights. Oh, yeah, it's on YouTube. There's, a great there's actually two that I know. Well, there's like four that I know of, but two are like complete sets. Yeah. And they're pretty much the same set. Not exactly, though. But it's you, Jimmy has uh, Jimmy, Jimmy Johnson, Johnson and... Yeah. Um, um, Vinny and I'm thinking one of them is a, a video that's not just audio it's on YouTube and it's if I can find it I'll send it it's really it's, poor I quality think, it's, I think that's the one that's the one that's in Florida somewhere I think yeah it is yeah. the guy's like probably trying to hide the camera yeah there's like the, everybody's trying to boot because nobody it. had a cell phone in 1988 no, it was like a big old camera they probably a shoulder to... unit yeah. yeah there's a few of those that Alan but saw. Vinny really loved um I, I've seen him talk about well, like, which your most, you know, um, one of the most amazing experiences you ever had? Oh, Alan Holdsworth's secret. Yeah, playing album. And, and, do, and doing that album too. He loved doing yes. that album because one very special thing of Alan, but not to go back on. But he, he would, uh, he would never tell anybody what to play. He never told us what to play at all. Nothing. Yeah. He would say, "Oh, this is the voicings and this is the chords." Okay. And yep. like you would think, like, "What do you want me to play?" And he, but he would never say. He just he started playing. And we just filled in. And he never told Chad or Gary like what groove to play, you know. So 
So when they did secrets, he had he had all the the sequences done with the syntax and the chords, and and then he had he had Vinnie come in studio to play that, but he didn't tell him anything. He just oh here's the tune, and he played, and they do the next track, he played, and, and oh. then I saw Alan after that. He goes, man, check this out, man. He put into the cassette, and he played me this tune. I forget what track it was, but he played me this tune, and and Vinnie's just he's reaming on it like, and Alan looked at me, he goes. And that's the ballad. <laughs> and I'm like, but did, didn't you tell Vinny it was the ballad? And he goes, no. He just, I just put it on and he just played. <laughs> and that's the beautiful thing about Alan. He, he wouldn't say, oh, this is a ballad. He would just, okay, what, what do you hear and play? And he would yeah. let you play. And it was, it was a special thing. So, I, I, you know, and, and I, I, even though Vinny is who he is, I think a lot of people tell him what to play. And, you yeah. know, okay, I want you to do this and do that and play that groove and, and play like play like Steve Gadd here. You know, be like what? <laughs> you know, well, I know he, I know he loved doing the Secret album and those yeah. those gigs with you guys. You and I, I have a funny story about that because uh, that tour was like six weeks long, and it was Chad, Jimmy, and me. And uh, Chad could only do the four, first four weeks. He had to leave. I don't know if he's going out with Frank or mm-hmm. he had something. He just couldn't stay the last two weeks. And so, so Jimmy, you know, knows. Vinny and Vinny played on that on the record as well. So, but uh, but Jimmy said, uh, "Well, let's just get Vinny to do the last two weeks," you know. And I was, "Oh, that'd be great if he'd do it," you know. And so, so we had two days off when when Chad left. So me and Alan stayed on the on the East Coast here, and then Jimmy flew back to California. He got Vinny, and Jimmy's a really organized guy, right? He's like he's to get he's got everything together. So he he gets together some charts and he gets together some cassette tapes of all the tunes that we play for that tour mm-hmm. and then he's got everything in a bag and ready to go so when they do that six hour flight from california out to uh to uh, baltimore you know they got time to go over because there was the gig that night actually oh wow and so so jimmy told me the story later he goes yeah i got got on the plane and the plane took off you know and then we got settled and then jimmy said he he reached down in his bag and got out the charts and the cassette and mm-hmm. pencil and headphones, you know, and he got everything out. And he, he put it up here like this, you know, and got things ready. And he looked over at Vinny, and Vinny was just conked out, just sound asleep. <laughs> and so Jimmy said, so I put everything back in the bag. And, and then we just flew all the way. Oh, wow, I, said, I said, he, he didn't listen to anything? He goes, no. Just, oh, uh, gosh. And so... So we get to the, the that gig and it was like this little, little room. It looked like a disco room or something. I remember, and we got set up. And then we, the only time, the only thing we had time for is in that sound check, is we played every tune just once. Once we just played, so me and Jimmy and Al and just played. And Vinny didn't know any of these songs. He may have heard them, but he, he didn't know them, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, so we were just like Looking Glass. We just, we just played. We just played. Straight through, and whatever happened, we just played, and then Vinny was just learning it at the time. So he got one run through on each tune, wow. and then we played the gig that night. Man, and, and if you know Alan's music, there's always time changes, right? It's sure. things that happen, mm-hmm. and it never messed him up. So we go through the time, we and there would be a, an extra beat or a less beat or. Eighth, the eighth note anticipation would become the downbeat sometimes, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, but Vinny would know, and then he, 
and he would just notice after, you know, but it never messed him up. He was like, oh. Wow. And he'd be off by an eighth note, and then he'd just recalculate, and then we'd be off and running, you know. But by the time we got to that Florida gig, he knew everything that you're talking about. Yeah. And that, the last gig we did in San Antonio, there's some bootlegs of that. It's just ridiculous, you know. Oh, yeah. I, I was listening to that. So insane. Recently, I listened to, you know, honestly, I think this is not far from exaggerating, but I've listened to Alan's music um yeah i mean probably four days of the week since i've seen him the first time it, yeah. and a lot of times it's every day and i particularly really enjoy the early 90s period uh, well i enjoy all of it though actually all of it but i really love the hired hat area i like to dig up there's great video on youtube of you guys playing in brazil somewhere with that hard oh, hat yeah, band. That tour. yeah and, it, and it's good quality too that, it's like it was produced for yeah that was a like good a tour yeah um, but it's really interesting to hear these stories, though, too, about you know how you met Alan. You sat in with opening up for Stanley, who you were with, yeah. too, and and then the whole Vinny thing. Now, when when you did um, the gigs with Vinny, Jimmy Johnson, and um, Alan, were, was that before Secrets was recorded? Um, so I, I, you know, there, there's there's actually a, a guy in Argentina. He knows the whole time. His name is German, and uh, I'm good friends with him, but he, he knows all the time. So I usually ask him, like, what's the date? Like, oh, okay. Okay, when when did we do this tour, and when did the album come out, and then when was it recorded? And, and, and he knows all these dates. So I'm oh, wow. I'm not totally sure. I, I think uh, I think that tour that uh, Vinny was on, we were doing a, a dual booking with uh, Ronnie Montrose. Mm -hmm. Alan, Alan and Ronnie were on the same. So that was around... 88 or 89 i forget the year somewhere around that time so and i don't know when secrets came out that might have been it might have come out like secrets was the first one i was on so that was probably it probably came out in 88 probably and then so, oh, it's, so it's, right, everything was right around that same time you know i know that's for sure that i had to but, go down to north carolina in january 1990 and i had secrets in and i knew it already very very well but i listened to it all the way down yeah. all the way back so yeah. it came out at least by by then yeah 88 89 that that tune that's on that that i have on there called joshua uh, oh beautiful that the reason it's on that track is i mean on that album is because when i was doing that tour with stanley like on sound check i would play the tune like for my sound check with stanley i would just play through the court just as a sound check and then one day alan came up to me on like he goes he goes hey what, what is that song you're playing with you know your sound check I'm like oh that's a tune i wrote i named it josh after my kid he goes man i love that man could i record that on my next record and i wow. was like this before he asked me to even be in the band i was like that would be okay that would be a dream come true you know so that's how that that's how you want that's how that tune wound up on there you know Wow, and, I uh, love. We just let my and, son and, then, and I talk and, about uh, that. We love that soon. Yeah, and 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 yeah, I was. I'm, that's I'm, that. I'm so proud of like that. The way that tune came out with when Alan did. I was. It was just a dream come true. Have you know? Yeah. Have him ask me to play to. And then the, when I first heard it, when I, I flew out there and he was doing the mix, and and I heard the whole thing together. It was just I mean, the the emotions just came up. Was you know I. You know, in, in this, again, I don't want to sound ridiculous or anything, but it isn't that often that I'll 
I'll hear music or playing or performing or, or whatever that makes me highly emotional or even cry. And it could be happy tears. It's usually happy or tears of joy as uh, Don Ellis would have called it. Right. But, yeah. um, but your music, um, there are things that you've done, things that Alan has done where I just listen and I, I am, I feel so many emotions. Mm. It is, uh, like this big pot of an emotional pot where I can, I don't experience that very often in my life. And I love it when I do. Oh, I love nice, it when man. I do. Yeah. I appreciate being able to feel that. Cause so yeah, often I mean, it's I, not I, like I know, that. Well, I know exactly what you feel it. Cause there's, there's special recordings and songs or, uh, you know performances that I get that exact same feeling you know or some of the old classics like there, there's a particular Chopin uh, nocturne that every time I hear it I just well up on side it's, it's, and I mm. and by the time you get there I just you know so Chopin had that effect yeah. on me or when you go see a Beethoven symphony or you get to the end of it you just you know yeah. this you you get you you really experience a piece of that performer, you know? So, and I think that's important. So when, when I do a recording or a song on my own, you know, it's like, I want, I want the, the listener or who, you know, whoever checks it to have, to try to have the same experience I had like writing it mm -hmm. or performing it or, you know, it's, it's uh, it, it, it'd be useless if it was just for me, you know, like, sure. why, why would I want that? You know, it's well, like, I, you know, yeah when, when 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 you know you're an artist when you want to do it you're you want you want them to experience what you're feeling and mm -hmm. and uh and have their own experience with it and uh, and i talk i talk to my students about this all the time you know like when they play when they perform you know what is what is it you're trying to say to the people you know what you have to say something you know right uh, they they don't they don't know they so most of them don't know what chords you're playing or what scale or even what time signature it's in or anything. Mm -hmm. All they, all they want to be is, is a story told to them, something gives some emotions through a story and through the notes. And then if you do that, then that's, then you're successful. And so the, the, the compliment you just gave me and then, and when people give me that kind of feedback after when they say this one lady came in, she goes, when you were playing, I was just, experiencing waterfalls and, and she it was nothing mm -hmm. about like oh I, I dug that harmonic minor you put over the the two chord nobody knows mm -hmm. that stuff you know <laughs> and they what they experience right. other things and that's what you you want and that was like some of the best compliments i get you know so you know it's interesting because i sometimes feel that uh maybe i'm lucky i don't know much about music theory at the same time i wish i knew about music theory maybe i'd if I had to write a song to save my life, I would probably be dead <laughs> or it'd be a really bad, simple song. But um, I know when I hear something special to me, mm. yeah. I heard Alan the first time and then every time after it's so I hear you, it's special. And when you, the other day when we were uh, talking uh, online, you were saying, uh, enjoy the journey. And of course I figured it would be a journey because I'm familiar with a lot of what you have done and man, this is a journey. And that's what I really like, though. I, I, I like because that I, I emote, man, when I 
hear certain things in this new uh, Connections album that you have. This is a journey. Every song in and of itself is a journey. In, in fact, even with like on Cherokee, there are several journeys within the journey. Exactly. Right. It's it's, it's like it this. It goes and comes and and oh, uh, it's beautiful. That's, now, and some then of there's... that some of that have I have to do in production, you know. So I have to make decisions about when things come in and stuff, but. That's what well, I, I appreciate you saying that too, because uh, that's that's the way I form all the all the music I do. No matter you know, if I did that thing with tur uh, Beyond Turbines and oh, and and yeah. the, the trio, the acoustic trio I have, a trio now that I had that I that I do it is that's my main goal. It's like when we start, it has to be a journey to the finish. Otherwise, it's not going to be the track. Mm -hmm. You know, otherwise. We have to all communicate, and you're going to start, and you have to have a journey to the end for somebody to experience. Otherwise, I I don't want it to be on the record, you know. So, this this record here, I, every tune had to have that, mm -hmm. and uh, and I think I think each and every one of them had it was, it was a successful in that way, you know. It just has definitely yeah thing, and and so uh, and so I you know I hope there was there are some tunes I'm like wow this is really long I I should cut it down, and then I I listen to it and I'm like no that's that's the whole trip. I, it can't be anything different, you know. So, I'd, so some of them are long, but if you stick through it, it's a good experience, you know. So yeah, well, that is. Um, I'm trying to look for the uh, the tune here. The one I, I think it's Cherokee, the prayer, um, where it starts off. Well, it's a little freestyle maybe in the beginning but then it goes into five isn't it and five it's, yeah, it's bit, five. you don't really it, notice it but it's, it's then it goes four. into maybe a four yeah right and yeah. Uh, i was just playing with, with some guy one day and i just started doing that i didn't know it was in five i just started playing that and then right and then he started playing this thing and that's how that tune kind of started you know and then it then I formed the other parts from that, you know. Yeah, and, and then, then it goes into the, the the other journey after the five, and then the five comes back. And right. It, okay, I just love this. It, whole, yeah, it has so a cool. connection because uh, the there's a and Chad knew how that worked because like I explained to him, he goes, "Oh, okay, I know how to." It's a there's a metric modulation, and you'll probably know this. So, the the dotted quarter of the five becomes the downbeats of the of the jam four four. And then it goes yes. back. So it's, so it's really connected. So I think it goes. Yeah. And so it's yeah. connected like that. It has that little space, but that's where that. It's perfect. So there's Great transition, that. man. Yeah, and a nice transition. And then, uh, and then going back to the five is a beautiful transition, too. Yeah, and it just, I it love just how, and I was trying to figure out yesterday if Chad is purposely, uh, of course he is. He knows what he's doing. <laughs> he's done <laughs> he that does it, thing It's almost like two. it's, uh, he's on the eighth note after one or something on the snare. And, I, and, and okay, okay, I got it. <laughs> what, yeah, he, what a great transition, though, how he did that. Yeah, he, he, uh, I mean, like I was saying before, he just has a way of orchestrating the drum parts where, I mean, I, I just, I forget that he's playing drums after a while. Mm -hmm. He's just, it's an, it's kind of like a, yeah, there's a few instrumentalists like that. Like, like Freddie Hubbard mm -hmm. is like that for me on trumpet. 
I'm not a big trumpet fan. I mean, I know it's great. But when I listen to Freddie Hubbard, I, I forget that he's playing trumpet. I just, the trumpet is not in my mind at all, you know. Mm-hmm. And when Chad plays it, it gets, it gets like that for me because I just forget that he's playing drums. It's, it's like a instrument, you know, like well, <laughs> and, and he orchestrates and things are happening. That everything is, uh, it's not calculated, but it's, you know, from his feeling, but it's the, dr- the little things he puts in there at the right time and it just, so when, when I did that, when I had that little jam section in the middle, I, Chad played first. And so he played over what, whatever sequence I had. And I told him, I said, I, I just want this section to be like a, a three-way uh, conversation between the three of us. And so I, I had my stuff down there, and then he played to that. And then when I gave it to Jimmy Haslip, I, my, my initial thought was I was going to have a, this Austin Auto bass line that kind of grooved to that. But I, told, but I told Jimmy, I said, you know, I, I want this section to be like a three-way conversation between all of us, you know. And when he sent back that track, I was just blown away. <laughs> it it wasn't what I was was expecting. I was expecting mm-hmm. like a a bass part, you know. Mm-hmm. And then he sent back this thing, and he's playing all these things in between and and notes and little things, and and it's just magical. Like what he played through that whole. I every time I talked to him, he's probably sick. And I said, I I'm just like amazed at that. What you played in that whole track It's just just kills me every time. And he and he really and he plays in the, and he puts all it's just it's just F. Mm-hmm. And I told him I said you know it's, it's like F. It, sometimes it's F sus or F. This is sometimes it's F Lydian. I don't know. It's just F something. He's like okay. And he caught all those things. Sometimes he's playing the Lydian. Sometimes sometimes he's playing the minor. And then he'll play some like little. It was just magical. I and every time I hear it, I just. I get that same like feeling. I keep talking about, like, wow, this is just so emotional because wow. he was feeling it. Today. I, I just love this. I, 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 I first listened to him in that first Yellow Jackets record, and that was just like, oh yeah, I loved that. Right, the very first one, and, and of mm-hmm. course all the other ones he did with him. But um, so anyway, that's that. I, I just love the way that he played on that. It's just it's it blows great. Me away. Yeah, I, I love that track. Love all the tracks. Um, I just. There's one other track I wanted to talk about too, because I've been a fan of Vinny for many years. Right. I think all of us drummers are right, uh, and every all the drummers on the album. Um, but when I listened to Vinny on that, I just wow, this is just um, so smooth and so open and flowing, and yet in in some case, a couple places he has these really long fills, sort of. When, when going over that, whatever you're playing, and then when I when I sent that to Jimmy Johnson, I said, "Oh, you got to check this out," because Jimmy Earl is the one playing on the track. Yeah, a good friend of mine from way from way at the beginning of my time here in Boston. Jimmy's great. He, Jimmy played with with me with Stan the Clark, and a, and he, he played with guy, Chick's man. band. He just he just great. I I hung out with Chick Corea once in Japan, and I wanted to talk to Chick about shop, about keyboards, and playing. And I told my new Jimmy Earl. He goes, oh, J-. and then that's all we talked about. Jimmy, I love Jimmy, man. He's like, and so I never got to pick Chick's brain about anything else. All he did was talk about Jimmy, how great he was. And I'm like, that's great. Okay, but I, you know, so that's I, cool. I, I blew it by mentioning Jimmy Earl because that's all Chick wanted to talk about. What a talented guy, though. Jimmy's just played so much yeah. over the years. So and many then, great so, so I sent that track to Jimmy Johnson, and Jimmy, he wrote back, and he says, he goes, the first thing he says is, you know, Vinny just has that, that 
that radar effect. He knows what you're going to play, and he just he's right there with you every time. And yeah. when he sent back that track, and and there, there's that little part in my solo where where I start schnelling, as I call it, German schnell. I start I just start playing fast through it, and then you can hear Vinny while he's tracking it because uh, I'm. I bet you anything that he didn't listen to the things I sent before. He just, hey, okay, roll the tape. And he was just playing. That's just the way he is. So, so he, he, I just started going fast. And then, and then he's, he starts picking up with me. And, and then I kind of stop on it. But he keeps going. Yes. He keeps going. And then, I, and then I noodle around. And then at the very end, I come down. I'm like, and then we, all, we both crash on a downbeat at the end of that. Yeah. And I was like, I was screaming in my studio when, he, when I got the track. But I'm like, whoa. I was jumping that, up and down. Like it's a good thing there's not cameras in my studio because I'm like I'm acting like a fool. But oh, I was no, like, so I'm like that's so perfect. Like that what, the way he does that. But but Jimmy Johnson he said that that's his thing. He he's always listening and then he just catches on to what you're doing and he's right there with you. You know. Yeah. So that yeah that's a that's a really cool track he did. It's a real impressive track. It, uh, um, like they all are, but that is unique, of course, because of who's on it and 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 Vinny's there and. And that uh, just is the way he that nice open sometimes hitting a cymbal without hitting a drum at the same time. I love it. Virgil yeah. does that too quite often. Yeah. You know, he'll come. That's all you hear is a cymbal, and then it's he's back so into something. But and it's and part of that orchestration dis, thing, yeah. The displacements of certain beats that could mess you up. Um, but he does. He does that. They at, always come back. At the yeah, Virgil. I, was, yeah. I had to figure out what that was. Like tick that good dude. That keep going. and he plays right. You mean at the beginning of the song that Vinny's on? Yeah, well, uh, it's it's a, it's after Alex's solo at that last vamp. Oh, and, Vin, and Vinny's just grooving, and then he it's before he goes up to the right somewhere, and he just plays this thing that's display. I don't know what it is. I was trying to figure it out, but but I'm just I'm just. And then Jimmy Earl is just playing. Go, 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 go. And then when I get when I'm listening to him, I'm like, oh, what was that? And I, I played Vinny found these little subdivisions in between what we were doing, and and he's and he's hitting me in between, and then he comes out. I'm sure a drummer can figure out exactly what it is, but he just all of a sudden it's displaced, and then boom, he's right back into it. So when I was when I was at when I was mixing it, I was like, maybe maybe I should pull the bass out right there and maybe one of my keyboard hits and just leave Vinny. And then I, so I did that and then I, I was like, no, that doesn't work. And I had to put it all back in there because that's what Vinny, he's like, he, it's what he did. He fit in between that, you know. And it, wouldn't, it doesn't work unless I leave that stuff in there because he's putting the stuff in there. And I'm like, wow, that that is like some freaky stuff, you know. I, I'm still trying to figure out the very first measure of the song before anybody comes in. Vinny does that thing. It's, it's a, it's so like, I haven't. It's, a, it's I like a five. So he goes. I don't know what idea. I have no idea what it is. I'm usually pretty good at figuring that stuff out. This one's what? got me stumped. So <laughs> when I had the original like kind of sequence strike, I had I had just a big snare drum hit on beat four. It's one, two, three, pa, don't good, don't go And so I I told myself I'm just gonna have that little you know you you have that little thing and. Then carry on, you know, whatever you want to do. <laughs> yeah. Carry on there, Vinny, you know. And so he sent it back, and he and he just had that thing out front. I'm like, and what it, what it is is so that that hit is on beat four. So he starts on beat two, and he plays 
plays a five over beat two and three, and then he nails beat four as the, as the pickup, and then we start on beat one. So it's like one, one, two, three, four, five, pick, and that that six hit is like the beat four. So it's <laughs> it's kind of cool the way. Yeah, I had to figure that out too. I'm like, what is that? You know. So. Do you mind if I just? Ray, Ray do you mind if I play that here? Right oh yeah, here? yeah. I think I have the right What the heck? Wait, we gotta go back. zonal right there yeah it's like that rub right from brown street oh, I, okay i was wondering because it, it brought what you know what happened is it brought back a memory and i knew it it had to do with weather report and you're yeah. okay now i got it the 830 album i that that tune brown street i i listened to that three times a day like for years yeah and i still listen to it to this day it's, that is like a such amazing track and what joe does the way he plays over that it's like a e flat thing you know and but anyway so i uh yeah i love it and like joe does this beautiful thing where he'll have the four of the scale along with the three you know like this one Which, yeah. which is really reminiscent, uh, reminiscent of what Alan does too. Alan mm -hmm. will always have a rub note in a chord. So if there if there's a if there's a D flat chord, he always plays. Mm. You know, there's always something that rubs. You know, it's not too wow. pure all the time. And, and Joe is like the same. So I think I don't know why Alan st stuck with me for ten years, but I think it was the fact that I really learned from Joe. And like I love Joe's voicings and the notes he would play over chords and the way he would mix these things and and I I think Alan has that same kind of musical concept. They they mm -hmm. like those little notes and in, in between inside the stuff, you know. Right, so right. If you hear that early Joe Zalvanov stuff with Miles and, in, and what he did uh, in a silent way, and you hear those chords he plays, you know, and the movements. Mm -hmm. It's so it's really comes from that same wherever it comes from Stravinsky or Debussy or comes Alan, they, they come from that same kind of thing. Bartok too, you know. I think right. Joe loves Bartok and Alan loves Bartok. And it's you know, I've never asked anybody this because I really am talking. I wanted to focus on you, but if you don't mind, um, mm -hmm. what is uh, what did Alan like to listen to? Did he did he have any special like favorites? You're on the road, you're in a van or something. Was was he cranking any music ever? Yeah, sometimes, you know, a lot of times we just told stories, you know, we'd listen to this and that. It, you know, it's, uh, we, it's, it's so funny because, like, we, in between when we were on stage, there was not much music, you know. Mm -hmm. We, we didn't talk about music much. It's usually stories or, or having That's fun cool, or, uh, you know, and then. Which was kind of sad because I I couldn't learn anything from I tried to get, pick his brain but we'd always talk about bicycles or 
past tours or a story of this and that or the tap or, you invented yeah <laughs> or, or 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 how how you know I, I know everything about how beer is i don't drink but i know everything about beer and how it's made and the whole because because that's what we talk about beers and bicycles and and food you know mm-hmm. and then every once in a while music but not too often and you know so we i mean he loved michael brooker he loved coltrane he loved the horn players mm-hmm. he loved bar talk and Ravel and Stravinsky and anything that was great, you know. Um, it's really interesting. I but, think um, I, I remember the night at Red Creek. Um, I wanted to go talk with you, actually. And what happened is that my friend Dave grabbed me. He says, "Ellen's at the bar. We're going to buy him Guinness." <laughs> That's where I ended up. Uh, yeah, well, and we drank Guinness. Know where Alan is? Have you checked the bar? <laughs> <laughs> So, I, I would, you know, I was always, I would always hang with, I don't drink, like I say, but I, I would always, ha- I would be the one hanging until the end of the night with him. Mm-hmm. And we would just hang at the bar and I, I would smell, he would be like, oh, you got to smell this, you know, would smell the different ales. And, mm-hmm. and we had lovely times in England going through all those pubs. I was the designated driver with, <laughs> with, uh, when we were in England because uh, they start, they start the pub hopping like early, like at five o'clock. And because yes, all do. the bars close at like nine or 10 at that time. Yeah, so I, I would be the one driving everybody from one pub to the next, you know, and <laughs> schooling. I got I got stopped for drunk driving once. And of course, I oh, wasn't drunk, but yeah, I was just driving. You know, I'm, I'm sitting on the wrong side of the car, driving on the wrong side of the road, side of the road. You know, but the right side there, but the wrong side for me. And right, and uh, I got I got I got pulled over once, and I had to get on the sidewalk and do a a breathalyzer test. Mm-hmm. And Alan and Schooley were just cracking. They knew I was completely sober, but they, they were in the backseat, just cracking up because they knew it was going to come up 0.00. And <laughs> Alan, we, we, every time I see it, we, we'd love to tell that story, you know. But but uh, it all it was, it was out, you know, Alan was trying to give me directions back to the hotel. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so I, I would I would be driving down somewhere in London and he'd say, oh, turn here. And I'd start turning. He goes, oh, not that. No, it's the next <laughs> one. So I was back and... And it's very awkward if you ever had drive on the right side of the car. I have one time because you keep one and go too far over, and then you're back. And then, so I, I'm sure I was turning, and and sure enough, they they pulled me over. And they're very yeah. polite. The police are polite there. They're very, excuse me, sir. You know, <laughs> and and this one guy, uh, this one, the cop comes to my door, and I kind of roll the window down, and he starts talking to me, and I'm like, I can't understand what he's saying. Like mm-hmm. this right. English accent, I'm like, and so I kept saying, "Excuse me," and oh, she goes, "Scarf," and I'm like, <laughs> I, "I, I can't say it again." He was, "Oh shit," you know, and I'm like, "Oh, Alan's in the car," like he'll he'll know what he's saying. So I turn to Alan, I'm like, "Hey, what what did the, what did the cop say?" He goes, "He goes, well, the off that I know, man, the guy's Scottish, man. <laughs> it was a Scottish guy. Alan couldn't understand him." Oh, and I man. was dying laughing. They were laughing. And, and so he wanted me to get out of the car. So he, he kind of did the motion. I'm like, oh, so I get out and I got the seatbelt still on. It's awkward. So I'm like hitting the horn and the windshield wipers go up, you know. And, and I finally get up and I'm sitting on, standing on the sidewalk with these two very polite gentlemen sticking a tube in my mouth. And yeah. Alan and school leader just, they're just having a ball in the back seat, looking and pointing and laughing. And, and then, you know, then I take the test and then it comes up and the guys, they think they have a live one and it comes up zero point, or is Alan, zero point zero zero, man. <laughs> like, and the cop was like, whoa. Like, so they were like, okay, you're all set. And I said, well, 
So can you give me, we're trying to get to this hotel, give me directions. So, so the Scottish guy gives me directions, and of course I can't understand. He's like, oh, I'm like, okay, thank you. <laughs> and That's I get back in. And, and Alvin, it, from that, he, every year he loved that story. We'd talk about that every time, you know. That's so uh, funny. Yeah, I, I did drive on the uh, one. I was working in, I've uh, been at London and England a lot, but uh, Ireland. And the, the lady who was transporting me, uh, not that you need to hear this, but I'll just tell you real quick, because you've driven out there, so you know. Yeah. Uh, Waterford to Dublin, three-hour drive. I had to make it to the airport. I said, Carl, I have a migraine coming on. Because if you don't drive, you will not make your plane. I said, okay. <laughs> so she pulls over on the highway, and you know now I'm getting on the wrong side of the car, yeah. on the other side of the road. The mirrors are in the wrong place, and, and a manual five-speed transmission. Right, with, right. You know the gas pedal's on the right, and the clutch, and the everything's normal on the floor except I'm shifting with my left hand, left and I'm hand. not a lefty. And, and then the mirrors on your left eye, and then yeah, it's it's so bizarre. Wasn't too bad for about an hour on the highway until we got into the city of Dublin and I had to make sure I was turning into the correct lanes and that was a cognitive challenge let me tell you something <laughs> <laughs> it was it was tough you know but I, I got really used to it after a while so after a while I was going around the rotaries the roundabouts you know roundabouts lots of roundabouts so, I, so I, I got pretty good at driving on like, over there for a while and then when I got home I was I kept questioning myself if I was really on the on the right the proper side of the road you know like, yeah I had to think about it for a few days, you know. But, sure. But it was good, yeah. So I, I was like the designated driver of the band, you know, which wow. was cool, which, which is all right. So. And we, we drove everywhere. Uh, when we went through Europe, we had a driver and a, a roadie. Mm -hmm. and then, but when we, when we toured in the States, uh, we drove everywhere ourselves. So each band member would take turns driving. And, mm -hmm. and uh, Wow. That's, that's... Except Vinny. Vinny's a terrible driver. So those two, he he drove once, and and we were, Alan loved that. So we were all on the edge of our seat, like oh, and so they, that was the last time we learned. Oh, Vinny, you don't have to drive, man. No, we're gonna we'll take care of it, you know. So we, me and Jimmy Johnson and Alan would take turns driving, but we drove all over the states. It was it was it was cool, you know. Like that had that to driving. be really cool though too to be in that kind of environment, even though you're probably in a van or something and close quarters but to have, have the time together like that yeah it was very i mean i mean i mean yeah if well i always tell people if you know if if you're gonna be on tour you better like the guys you're with and you better like the music because it lasts you know yeah you know, sure. six weeks sure. and there's <laughs> you're only around those guys you know and you're only playing that music you know so yeah things can get real bad really quick you know but we we all we all had everybody respected each other and we had great times and I, I loved going to all the different cities around Europe, and I, I would be—I'm more of a tourist guy, you know. So mm -hmm. I would get out and run the town, take pictures, and go sample the breads and the different sure. restaurants, and see the see the squares with the with the markets, and just mm -hmm. hang out with the people in every every little city we went to. It was really cool. Alan, like was, he's not so much of a tourist guy, but he, he'd go out with me sometimes, but mostly just to look for the for the the nice the, pub you know the like, pubs yeah <laughs> or, or a nice indian meal sometimes we find a good indian curry somewhere you know but uh it's it's funny talking about vinnie just for a second I remember my my friend jeff richmond who he and jimmy and scott kinsey are the ones who kind of really did my cd and I, I didn't know scott jimmy got him to come in but what a great thing that was but yeah. jim uh jeff and i were talking so we talk every 
two or three weeks just I'll check see how he's doing and all that he's alone out there it's la it's a pandemic and he's telling me recently he says we were talking about Vinny. he says yeah you know the guy's just so uncoordinated he can barely even tie his shoes and then he sits behind, behind the drums and it's magic it's like it's, yeah how did he do that if he he would he told us stories about he would tell us funny stories about his time in la and you know one time he had a he had a, his car didn't work so he got a motorcycle and he he had his cymbals he had to take to the studio but he, he had no cymbal bag so he just bungee corded his cymbals around the back of his motorcycle <laughs> but they were, on the 405 they, they came off and they were on the so he had to pull over and he had a dodge tribe to run out and get a cymbal so he could get to the studio in time you know? oh my gosh <laughs> and we're like what yeah there's, uh, there's a lot of stories like that you know and he would tell us funny ones and one time we were, I forget we were somewhere in the south and it was after the gig and me and Vinny were standing in the parking lot waiting and we're just standing there talking and then we're we we're next to this car that was running somebody had started a car like an old old some old Cadillac or something I don't know we were standing right next to it and so I was talking to Vinny and then I started talking and then I I looked at him and, and he seemed to be gone somewhere he was just <laughs> And, um, and so I, I stopped talking. He goes, and he, and he blurted out two numbers, 713. I'm like, what? What? He goes, oh, 713. Listen, the clicking of the engine on one side, he's going tick, 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 and the muffler's going, bro, 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 bro. <laughs> he figured out, like, where they came together. Oh, man. Like a it was like, so I don't, I forget the numbers. Layering like, polyrhythms or something. Yeah. He, wow. that's, so he just completely tuned out of what I was saying, and he could hear like the muffler going boom, 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 and the engine going click, 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 and and he figured out how they worked together in the number thing. Isn't that like, something? And I was like, <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> that is wild. Yeah, he, he had that, that special thing. But those that tour with him and Alan was just, the two of them, I, I imagine it was pretty close to what, Elvin and Coltrane were doing, you know, at the time. Oh, was, it had to be. Going yeah. Like, yeah, Jimmy, after one gig, Jimmy came to me. He goes, like, I think something really heavy happened here tonight. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's all Jimmy said. He walked away. I'm like, I think so. Yeah. So, but, uh, yeah, so that, you know, it's, it's that my whole career, I've just, I just, I've been really fortunate. I'm just blessed that I was able to spend time with all these different people and, uh, you know, like so, some not for just a brief time, like with Billy Cobb and just for like, six or seven months you know and bill uh, but it was it was a really cool time and uh, great stories and magical musical moments and oh uh, uh, yeah with, uh, you with, know with, i mean with, even bill, with billy you'll get a kick out of it. with billy it's like some of it's like frightening like moments because he was such a powerful drummer then and he, he would have like massive amount of toms you know and then cymbals and two bass drums and several snares and he was like a little kid in a toy room, you know, and then he would do this thing and then he would do a fill and come all the way to drums, you know, like, I don't know what the divisions were, you know, you come around and then, so I asked uh, Dean Brown, I'm like, man, how, how do you guys count that? Because like to find out where the down, but he goes, oh, no, he goes, just watch when he hits that symbol. That's one. <laughs> because, <laughs> because it would just be like a, like a Harley Davidson, like revving up. And and he would go wow. around the thing, and then boom on one, and we'd like, <laughs> we'd know where it was. <laughs> he said, "Just watch that symbol," and you know. So I, those little moments like that is what what I remember from those times, you know. And so I, it was really cool to get him when I contacted him, and 
to have him play on this thing. You know, it's like uh, yeah, it's a thrill, and he, he was really he's really nice and. Uh, that's great, uh, man. You know, so I know Gary played a lot with him uh, playing keyboards, right? Yeah, plays. Yeah, uh, Gary. Well, Gary's one of those freaks, you know. In yeah, a good way. <laughs> yeah, in sure. a good way, he plays. Well, somebody yeah. asked Gary at a clinic one time, like uh, about something, and uh, and he says, "Well, I'm 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 really a piano player," and then and they kind of people kind of laughed. He goes, "No, no, seriously, that's I'm really a pianist, but I I can play the drum. I play drums, you know." And, and it's true. He he's like yeah. just the best piano. So he, and he couldn't how, figure out what he wanted to do. Is, is what he was telling me something about it. I don't know which one I want to do. I, everyone says you have to pick an instrument. I so I pick drums or pick. I can't just pick one. So I have to play both. Yeah. So he just it's, plays both. I, and it very. I mean. Yeah. At the top level, he, I saw that interview he did with Chick, and it was, he was talking. Oh, isn't that great? And, yeah, it's so great. And the two of them going on about uh, talking about time and rhythm. I mean, just two masters of that. And. Uh, I, I love that. That's a fun interview. Actually, something I just saw today, I don't know if it posted today, but it's Chick and Gary actually performing, you know. Uh, I saw I saw Gary say he sent something like that, and I, I hadn't read the whole thing, but something. Oh, yeah, it's really cool. cool. We're um, uh, Gary's playing keyboards and drums. Uh, that the, A lot of editing involved, so it's like a production. It's really cool. I haven't and watched Chick the whole thing yet. Too. Yeah, yeah, some nice video of him online doing that. Um, so... I, uh, oh man, I could talk for hours. This is just, first of all, it's a real, it's an honor for me to get to meet you finally. I oh, wish I had saw you at the Red Creek and tracked you down, but I ended up drinking Guinness with Alan <laughs> because Dave took it's, me over there. It's probably more interesting to hang with me because I don't no. drink and I, don't, I didn't, I don't have many stories like Alan does. So. No, but it, it was just, um, it's really so great to meet you and talk with you. And, um, um, you mentioned something the other night, um, it might come to me before uh, we close out, but I wanted to ask, like, where is the best place for people to get connections when it's released? And you'll, will you have like some posting you'll do on that and yeah, like I'll, where I'll, they can I'll link say, up and a, download? It's going to be, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, nowadays the CD thing is just not, people aren't doing yeah. that much anymore, but I'll, I'll have a few of those. Uh, I have to do that for promotion and stuff, but mostly it's going to be, I'm setting up Bandcamp the page for Bandcamp now, so oh, good. they can purchase, listen to it, and purchase the whole thing. If you want to purchase the whole album or individual tracks, you know. But um, and then, and then it's gonna. I have it for my record company, Spice Rack Records. Right. Uh, I have, um, I have like distribution through the Orchard, which is uh, sort of a hub. And they and they get sure. it out to the fifty different digital outlets, whatever they are. You know, Amazon and iTunes. Oh, great. And, all the streaming things. I think most people nowadays just stream, you know, so, which, you know, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's not the best for us, you know, no, it's, it's, uh, it's nice that people have access to all the stuff and anything. I mean, I just joined up with iTunes, uh, not iTunes, Apple music. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I mean, you get all that music and you at your fingertips, you know? So, uh, so I understand that's the way, but, uh, um, so the, it's going to be on all the streaming things. It's going to be on Bandcamp, uh, you know, downloads on Amazon, maybe iTunes too, if they're still doing that. Mm -hmm. uh, I will have some hard copies in the near future. I have to, I'm going to get those made. But sure. Uh, um, yeah, so people can just go look for it. Steve yeah. Hunt Connections. Yeah, and, uh, and SpiceRackRecords.com. Yeah, I'll have it up on there. SpiceRackRecords.com. Oh, great. And my all my other 
CDs, which I still have some left of those, and, and also links to different things, all, all the other things I have. I'm still selling copies of uh, From Your Heart and From Your Soul. People Good. <laughs> people are like, somehow they, they're, they're like, oh, yeah, I heard about that thing, you know. No, it's that's five years later. I love that though. That's great. Um, yeah, that you know, not to get off track here, but it has really has changed a lot. Um, I've only ever done one CD under my own name in my life. It came out a year ago next month. I've been on a lot of CDs, you know, on a small yeah. level, but um, you know, I ordered a thousand copies because I thought I was supposed to. I still have 500 copies upstairs, oh, yeah. you know, and I had half of the ones that I got rid of. Jimmy Heslop bought 125. Scott Kinsey bought 125 for like, you know, like a dollar fifty a piece. I mean, because that's yeah. cost. I'm not going to charge them. I don't need to make yeah. money off of them. They were a gift to me to yeah. even be a part it's of my great, life in any way, shape, band. or form. Yeah. So I might have sold like 30 copies. <laughs> the rest are like a business card. I give them away. Well, well, oh, you, you know, have it's a, a, it's, a, a, it's the way things book. are now. It's like a lot of times. Uh, I think Leonardo was telling me it's like a lot of times. You get you get the people at gigs to buy a hat or a T-shirt or or a back or a sure selling backstage patches or drumsticks with somebody signing it, mm-hmm. and then if if you if you buy a T-shirt and a hat, then you get a CD to go with you know. <laughs> Basically, nobody buys they, CDs if, anymore. If but they you, buy a copy of my one. book, then they oh, get yeah. a CD with the book because it only costs a dollar twenty-four to produce a CD. Well, after the expense of recording it, of course, but I mean the actual cost for manufacturing. Yeah. So you know, I, I'm not gonna expect to make money off them. And any money I make on this goes to a foundation anyways that I started for Parkinson's. But the bottom line is uh, CDs are out and digital streaming is in. <laughs> so it's the way it is. I mean, it's not, we, it's not going away. And uh, nope. I mean, I can't remember the last time I actually bought a CD myself. So me neither really complain, you know, so speaking uh, of that, you should get the copy of my book and CD in the mail. Maybe oh, tomorrow. Come, oh, I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah. It's I sent it to two days ago or maybe yesterday. I can't remember. Yeah. I was dealing with the COVID stuff the past two days. I feel really good. So I finally right, made it to the post so office. But better with that. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> the whole thing's stay scary. safe and don't get it because it ain't fun. No, I, um, I, here, I'm, I'm staying by myself. I don't even go, I don't even go close to my wife anymore. We, <laughs> nah, we just, we, I stay in my piano room. She stays in her office, you know, we, we wave to each other, but yeah, yeah it's like, yeah, we, we, uh, and we have, we have grandkids and our kids and everything here too. We, we just oh great see, we just meet up on zoom or whatever so yeah, yeah so, so I, I'll, I'll just I have five grandkids now so oh no kidding yeah this is oh, my this, oh this that's, that's beautiful beautiful age, see you know? my daughter lives about five miles from us and thank you oh, by the nice. way yeah she married a fantastic guy and um they live close and uh, she had nora november 2nd so i have a two-month-old oh, granddaughter and my son is moving back with his wife from atlanta and uh, this year in the summer, he starts a job at a hospital here. He's a doctor. She's expecting in April. Very so good. I have two granddaughters. And oh. uh, man, isn't it a trip, man? It changed oh, me. It's, it's, uh, it's the funnest thing. You know, I, 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 I almost forget what it was like raising my kids. Because we me and my wife were young. We were 20 years old. By mm-hmm. the time we were 25, we had a mortgage and three kids. And, mm-hmm. and then I started going on the road. So it was you know, it was just, it was basically survival back then. Sure. Uh, but, but now the, the grandkids is, you know, that their mom and dad raise them. We just have fun with them, you know, and, and I make some cookies. You have, they come in the piano room and they bang on the piano. I get the <laughs> organ going and drums. They go up in my studio and they push all the knobs and buttons. We just have the blast, you know, and their dad. You have, you have three kids. 
I have three kids, yeah. Two, three kids, two boys and five, daughter, yeah. five grandkids? And five Did grandkids, you? yeah. My, no, my, my oldest one, Joshua, he has, he has two kids, and my daughter just gave birth to her, her third child. So, Oh, wow, uh, man. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's really Joshua, cool. Joshua, the and song. Joshua's what a oldest son, yeah. So that fantastic was, song. That was his song, yeah. Well, you know, and that's yeah. another thing, too, that, uh, yeah, I didn't expect to be talking about being a grandparent with you, but, but, but I will say that I've had this time off from playing drums, Mm-hmm. And for other than listening to Alan Holdsworth, uh, I didn't really listen to anyone for a couple of years. And then I started to listen more, started to get ideas. And when my granddaughter was born, you know, immediately, uh, it didn't just change how I feel as a person. And yeah. I can't even describe, and I'm sure you're there too with your grandkids. But if there was ever a time where Carl Sterling could write a song, it would be now because something happened emotionally yeah it's, uh, you know with with nora being in the world now i don't know what is i have my father's old keyboard here a yamaha something from he probably got it 12 years ago but you know a few years before he passed away but that's my uh my laboratory now my there you go. my lab my musical lab on i don't know anything about keyboards i just play yeah. probably like even though i went to music school i can't remember anything because i never practiced any of that music theory so now i'm starting to you think know, it's a beautiful thing about those young kids when, when my grandkids because they got they come in here and play and it i just let them they go down low and then they hit up high and then they put things together and then they figure out how to play loud and soft and bang and then and one of my one of the kids one time figured out how to like just touch the note and it just went like and then they they do this and it <laughs> and i let them do all that stuff and at some point each one of them would say like oh pap they call me pappy like pappy mm-hmm. like uh i i wrote a song in it and i i mean what what it, it's yeah how do they know about writing songs you know i mm-hmm. mean just the concept of writing but they yeah it's something that's like maybe built into us you know something that they that humans do that we compose you know i mean how, nobody knows how do we actually compose something i don't know it's just a and then they put together these things they, and my 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 oldest grandkid when he was like four, he was like, and he was real particular. He knew exactly, and he could put these notes together, and no he was kidding. very serious. I I, I wow. wrote this, and you know, and it was just it's just this freedom as a child, like just uh, there's no right or wrong. You know, I, nobody's right. telling like, oh, that's not the right harmony, or you're going to get a bad grade on that if you don't have your parallel, if you have parallel thirds or fifths or whatever. Parallel fifths. I remember, and, don't do parallel fifths. Yeah, I right. remember like, that. And, and, but, and it's scary, right? But at that age, there's no right or wrong. They just, it's just pure emotion. They, and they can pick out notes and then they, and they're really serious about it. Like, oh, I wrote that. And they'll just play these things and the sounds. And and I, th- I think that's beautiful. It's just, um, I, I do th- and I do that a lot with myself. I'll come in this my piano room here and then and just turn the lights out. And then I'll just put my hands on the piano and for like an hour I'll just play whatever comes to my fingertips. There's no right or wrong. Yeah. And just sometimes something will come up, maybe be tuned, but that's not the point. It's just mm-hmm. I just play and whatever sounds that you know, any sounds could be beautiful, you know. That's you know, I it's interesting. My dad used sounds, to do so. that. My my dad always told me, just go mess around. I, I never really did that though. Um, until recently and a lot of people are afraid of that you know it's like a fearful thing like well what if i do something wrong you know or uh, maybe that's not right or maybe that's not good you know but if you're by yourself you know who's who's to say you know 
remember in the so. panel minor classes, I definitely rem no, 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 and it wasn't that. It was uh, music theory, and when we got into, I, I don't know if it's Bach stuff or was there no, a uh, counterpoint, but the too. don't no yeah. parallel fifths, and if you wrote anything out that had one in it, then points off. And you get yeah. <laughs> and you get like yeah, I, I remember all that stuff too. You, you know, need like, to be going different directions, yeah. not like this, this. And the funny so, thing is, I it's like that's my favorite thing is parallel fifths, you know, like all the time, you know. There you go. Yeah. Like, I know that parallel fifth sounds good to me, you know. So, so yeah. So you you've been teaching at Berkeley for a while now, right? Yeah, I start I started right after right after that I started finished touring with Alan like in '86, and I went and applied and uh, uh, it, great, one man. of my former teachers there, Dave Mash, who was who just retired, and uh, he was he he, he gave sent me a nice letter, and I got the job and started teaching in the piano department. I've been teaching there ever since, just very part time. I go in one day, maybe a day and a half a week, and mm -hmm. the kids are great. They're all they come in, you know, over the years, and they just, you know, they it's like that youth thing. They study, they come in, they want to learn, they want to experience in this. Yeah. And Berkeley's a magical place like that. Just yeah, four thousand kids all doing music. It's no like no place in the oh. world is like that, you know. And when I went to school, there was twenty five hundred students, and everybody's mm -hmm. just doing music, and you're just in this world of. It's really magical, so I'm, I'm glad to be back there teaching. Do you, so do you I'm ever Berkeley, run in? I'm actually a Berkeley dropout, so I <laughs> dropped out, and but they hired me, so <laughs> you know. Um, do you ever run into Terry Lynn Carrington out there? Yeah, yeah, she, uh, she's she, she's uh, is she still teaching? Yeah, yeah. She, okay, she's she's doing a lot of stuff there, and she's always in concerts, and she does a lot for the school. I think she goes to New York with them a lot and mm -hmm. different places, and she, yeah, she's. She she manages she also manages one of the big one of the big uh, festivals in the summer that that Brooklyn oh runs. cool and, yeah, I've and seen her out she, and she's um, been to my studio once and recording with Tim Miller oh so, cool yeah I, I met her a few times I don't know I, and I played with her a couple of times just just by chance and stuff she's an amazing player I you know I saw her here in Syracuse once with David Sanborn years ago I think it was Bobby Thomas Jr. on percussion. And then uh, the other two times I saw her was uh, with Mike Stern and Bob Francesini, and I don't know who was on bass, Regatta Bar. I'm sure you played at the Regatta Bar. Yeah, yeah, this, the Ch Charles Hotel. The place to play, you know. Sometimes you have to and, pay to and, play. Um, there, Symphony Hall. It was actually the last time I saw Michael Brecker. It was about a year, two years before he passed away. Oh, okay. So it was with Herbie Hancock and Scott Colley and oh, Roy Hargrove. Uh, yeah, oh, he was oh, on it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and then. Um, I, she was at the Lily Pad one night. It was one of those gigs where George Garzon was playing. Oh yeah, yeah their Monday every, night trio thing. Play there every Monday night, yeah, the the, the yeah. fringe. Yeah, the, the fringe, fringe yeah. man. That was that was fun. They've been playing every Monday night since the nineteen seventies. It's fringe. really cool. I, they, I they can't remember. Missed, they hadn't missed a Monday night since then. Every Monday night, the French plays. Well, I I don't know what they're doing now actually during COVID, but that was the thing and. One member of the Fringe would always be there on a Monday night somewhere, you know, the Willow, or they went to different places, the Lounge Lizard. Now they're at the Lily Pad. Yeah. Yeah. And and, it, and Jerry Braganzi will come in and play on a second oh, set after that. Sometimes, sometimes they'll play together. It's just I love that guy. And and who's that? Bob? Somebody is the drummer. Bob Galati. Yeah, he just he just passed away actually. Yeah, he did. Just okay. Maybe a year ago. Yeah. So it's really sad. he was a, he was one of the the jewels of Boston. I mean, he's on a. He's on that high level, you know, and it was great to have him around town and 
and play with him when you know. I, was I know he had just, health problems years ago, heart problems. And yeah. This and that. Um, yeah. 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 And I was supposed to take a lesson from him once, uh, but then oh, he's my, an amazing, my, amazing teacher. He was he was teaching at Berkeley the last oh, few really? years, wow. you know. But wow, I didn't. I'm sorry, I didn't really didn't mean yeah. to get off track there, but it's no, but, it's still to, to a lot of the people who'll be watching this and listening yeah. on you know the listening platforms they're going to be really happy to hear a lot of these stories too, you know, because oh, yeah. a lot of us wonder, you know, gee, I wonder what it was like with, you know, so-and-so <laughs> and, uh, and, and, you know, how, we, the, 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 there was a question I wanted to ask. I wrote it down and I forgot to ask it is um, yeah. when you go about, let's say, composing a song, if you will, um, this is a two-part question. When you're playing a solo, for example, uh, so that's composing something too, and on on the spot, yeah, on the spot. Is this? I, I'm just going to surmise, like, because I don't know, and I don't mean to like answer my own question, uh, which I've done a few times, and it's really not the right way to interview somebody or talk with them. <laughs> well, but it may help me out because I mean I have an answer. <laughs> well, are you are you going by anything in particular? Any kind of guidelines? Is it? obviously there's a structure to a song and certain chords but you can take it out you can go over the yeah. bar line you can go harmonically different but what about the feelings involved in creating a song creating a solo is yeah. is there something that that just guides you or do you go how do you how do you do this <laughs> yeah i i don't you know i do you ever even think about it? Because that can screw us all up. Well, I guess if we think about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's there's thought processes that go on, but uh, uh, you know, a few times I've I think a few times I've I've, I've I can hear myself saying like, okay, I'm going to write a song, mm -hmm. and usually it's not very successful when I do that. But every once in a while I'll come up with something, an idea. Usually, usually my songs come from. I would say most of the time my my compositions come from me just playing harmony st to start off with like just here in harmony you know and and okay. sometimes the harmony would have the melody in it like like on uh quantum entanglement that just it's it's, a, it's an older tune I had from years back and but um but I just always had just this the first set of chords which is And I just, and I just, I think I just played that. And I just, I put my my fingers on the piano, and just went there, you know. And then, a lot of times, you just let, you let, you let it like a like water. You just let it flow from where it wants to go there, you know. Ah. You know, so simple melody, but the harmony moves it in a different place, you know. very simple but the harmony you know I, I could go back to the key but that's not very interesting to me so oh, you know completely outside of where that first harmony was but it leads right back and then you have a release you know and so it's like a, in the classical world they talk about this it's like a question and then a pondering of the question and then another question and then the answer oh. this is that's the way that my classical teachers tell when they teach me uh beethoven or mm -hmm. chopin or whatever that's how they describe 
the melodies and the lines. Right. This, this line is a question. This line is a statement. This line is an internal pondering or thought or something that you express inside. This is a thing you express outside. You have public expression. You know, all these kind of things. Yeah. That that really aren't put on the page. You can't put that on the page. You know, Beethoven can't put. All right, think of this. This you know, mm -hmm. you just have to know this is musician. So I, you know, so that could be. You know, it leaves you hanging. It's like a question. And sure. Then, obviously, that's not the answer, right? Because mm -hmm. it's, it's so far away. And then there's that question again, you know. Okay. It just leaves you. And then now you have the answer or it's going to be hanging. So. Yeah. It's like. Oh. And then I, and then you have to go on for your story. There. Now here's the wow. second part of the story. Oh. And then, <laughs> so you start, and then, and then when when it gets to the the improv, improvisation section, it's not really the chords of the song. It's like a whole new set of chords, but it, mm -hmm. it comes out of that, you know, and then it kind of makes its way into the, into the song again. But, you know, so that, so that's, I mean, most of like when I wrote Joshua, it's the same way, you know, was like, and it's, yeah. And where does it want to go? I don't, I don't know. I just, a lot of times I'll just play and and then and then see where it wants to go and maybe it'll go. Maybe it's successful or it's not. I don't know. Like dodgy boat was like that. You know? And then yeah. God, I love that. Where's the voice go there? And then it resolves. And then some tension. Yes, oh, and then it know, builds. So three, and it's in threes, you know, which is odd yeah. already, you know. Tension, release, tension. And then the next group is not so much tension, but now tension. More tension. And in three, and a little nice. less. And then, and now it's more pure. And then it just, very pure. And it winds up on the on a D chord, which has which has nothing to do with any other chords in the song. It's just I don't you know, so I I don't know why I, I wind wind up there, you know. It's not I don't I never write songs that actually are in a key center. Mm -hmm. I have some like that, but usually I just I, there was a phrase by Debussy, I think it was, he said uh he said it in music uh, in music, there is no th there is no theory. The pleasure of the ear is the law. Wow. Of course, Debussy knew theory like the back of his hand. You know, he, he was he was well trained. He yeah. knew all the, he knew all the rules, but mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but the ear is what is going to tell you where to go. And the if, law of the ear. If, yeah. It's it's so if you know like that. 
If I hear it going to this and then to that, and then that's where my ear wants it to go. Mm-hmm. Who, what, what academic professor is going to tell me that's wrong? You know, <laughs> it's, it's, it, it can't be the rule because that's where my ear. And Alan was definitely like that. He didn't know anything about any of those. He never went mm-hmm. to school, so he didn't. He knew a lot about scales and har- harmony, and but he didn't know anything about the academic rules, you know. Mm-hmm. So and so he he was definitely like that. He just where his ear took him, you know. And, and his his compositions are on such a high. I did a, a recording on YouTube recently of uh, Sphere of Innocence. I saw that. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that. I played that on a record, right? And I think we did it live a few times, but I never studied it. I just played it. And when I did that piano thing, I actually studied the score. And I studied the harmony, like really, I took a, a week and I just studied the harmony. Where And it blew my mind about, I mean, his, his, co- his compositional skills are on the level of any of the greats. Mm-hmm. Stravinsky, Ravel, Chopin, Beethoven, any, the way he, Organize that tune. When I finally studied, I'm like, this is—it's unbelievable. The genius is unbelievable. The, what what he does. I yeah. mean, I don't know how he knows to do that, but it was—it sounds like Just a very intuitive song, right? Yeah. And it was, and he goes, and then when it comes back, it's actually sometimes he comes back. He's actually in a different key, you, and you don't know it, but you feel it. Mm-hmm. When that when that little melody comes back, it's in a different key, uh, up a half step or down a major third. Mm-hmm. It just he'll he'll do these things with harmony. It just moves to. I mean, you you don't unless you have a perfect pitch, you don't know that it's different, but you can feel something happen. Mm-hmm. And and I don't think that's haphazard with him. He knows he knows what he's doing. You know, he's like, yeah, and uh, and that's how he he just I mean he's just on that genius level. You know, and and writing. I I'm probably not that deep with my writing, you know. I but I do know what you know where I want the harmony to go, mm-hmm. and if it's and if I play something that's not there, then I, I know that's not right, you know. But I have a feeling where it needs to go, and then eventually it just comes together, you know. Now when I'm soloing, when I'm improvising, that's a a whole other thing. I think I was texting you one time. There are some neurologists and people who study the brain that they are trying to figure out how people that improvise how they actually do it because it's not it doesn't seem like it's possible to do this where you you don't know what you're going to do and then you do something you know right. so play so playing a classical piece of music or a learned piece of music that makes sense because you work it out it's organized and then you perform it in a way but when you play something that you don't know what's going to come up you know so so you, I think you're right about this. A lot of that just comes from the emotion of what you want to do and where you want to go with it. And uh, and I try to teach my students that too about that. You know, uh, there's a lot. Sometimes a lot of great players they just play these patterns that they learn, and they play this pattern and that pattern and then this pattern, that pattern, and it's the coolest thing in the world, and it's the best patterns and the best notes, but it says absolutely nothing. <laughs> because it didn't really come from what they were thinking, you know. So, yeah. Um, of course, you have to learn patterns. You have to learn scales. You have to learn the notes. You have to, but that's not the way you should improvise. 
the improvisation, you know, so when I'm, when I finally play out like on song Carry On, you know, when I play over those changes and, and I would work them out in the studio and I'd play it, I have to know what they are and stuff, but there's some point when I'm finally doing a track where that all just kind of goes to a sub level and then I just play, you know, and, yeah. uh, and then, you know, I've, I've practiced enough where I can get to the right scales and stuff and in between and come back in. But it's, uh, it's in the end, it should be all uh, emotion, you know, the, what you're feeling. And also what you just played has to has to go into what you're going to play. Yeah, it's, sure. like, it's like speaking. You can't you can't just say something and halfway into what you're saying, just say something else. It would it would Off confuse topic, you to yeah. death. You know, like <laughs> sure. I mean, I, sometimes I do that. My wife goes, what, what are you talking about? You know, I'll say something else. <laughs> I'll say something else. It's very confusing. But most of the time when you speak, you want you have a flow of your speaking and and you say it to the very finished and then you have another thought. And it should your music should, your improvisation should flow like that. So anyway, I, I you know, I mean you still have to do the the dirty work of learning the scales. You it's like developing, you know, pattern, uh, vocabulary and you know, dr- you have to, yeah, you have to have all for drummers stuff. and this and that. They can come in handy for improvisation, but you know, you have to Got to come from here, and I, right. I think that it's just like almost. And I'm not a spiritual person or anything like that, but it it, it there has to be something well, in there, though, emotionally, uh, spirit deeper in that, the human psyche and the human yeah soul and the mind. That it's uh, it's more primal, you know, when you play, you know. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and there was some, you know, a lot of great jazz musicians that just did that. Like Coltrane, at the end of his life, he just all that stuff went away, and it was just completely primal. Yeah. You know, yeah, so, it was, and then he couldn't get an audience, that. you know, but, but it, but he didn't seem to mind, you know, cause uh, <laughs> he'd played, he'd already played all the notes and scales and now he's moved on to just, it was pure emotion, everything, you know, and, uh, I love that too. Yeah. I, mean, I, I think, I think Alan's, you know, like going back to Alan, I think he was like that. I, he, he really didn't like the compliment that he played fast. Mm-hmm or that he played weird notes or, you know, he didn't like when I first met him on that, you know, I, I told him one time, I said, I said, uh, I said, well, I said, Alan, you, you know what I love most about you and your music and your playing? And he's like, Oh, what? Cause they, he always usually gets like, man, you play fast and, mm-hmm. and your crazy chords. And, and I said, I said, it's your melodies. That's what I love most about you. And he, he stopped and he looked and he goes, well, Oh man, Th- thank you, man. Thanks. Wow. He was like, re- I wasn't expecting that reaction. He was like, thank you, man. Th- he was mm-hmm. really touched. Wow. But I, I mean, yeah. I, I do. That's. I mean, it was. I was honest about that, serious about that. But he was really touched. And then it that stuck with me for a long time. I'm like, why? Why would he be so touched about that? And then, as I got to know him and play with him, everything he does is melody. Yeah. When he's playing, every it's all about the melody. And it and it does happen to be fast sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. but it's always about the connection of the melody. And what is a melody? It's like a, a, a thought process that goes from one to another, you know. And and that that always stuck with me, like his response when I just it was just a compliment. I wasn't expecting, but he was really touched when I said that. And uh, well, you know, some of his uh, most beautiful music that I saw like say live um there's usually one point in the set where he'd do a solo thing 
Yeah. When I say solo, I mean beautiful notes, beautiful chords, and nothing fast. No, oh, yeah. And 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 it it would build and build and I, I loved that. I love the feelings that I would get when I would be there and watch him do that. And um, to me that, you know, I, I can see why you said what you did. Cause when I, I don't know what he's playing. I have no idea. You know, you know he told me one time that he said, that's, he goes, when he used to do those things, he goes, those, those on the gigs, he said, those, that's a lot of times he works out. He's working out new tunes during that. Really? I can see. Yeah. Can he's, see he's like, uh, he's forming new songs from that. He's just on stage in front of people. Mm-hmm. He's like, you know, and it, it winds up being somewhere in a song somewhere, you know, but anyway. Yeah. I, I enjoy that though. I think it's, um, well, you know what, what you said, what you were, um, playing earlier and the way you described the, uh, the uh, the question and pondering and a question and an answer. I have never heard that before, and something clicked in me. At least for me, this is kind of a big deal because here I am with a, a keyboard over here that I really don't know even how to get all the sounds I prefer to get out of it. By the way, that's another thing. We, we could go. We need to do another <laughs> interview. But the sounds you use, I don't know what keyboards you use, but I, I just love the sounds. Oh, thank you. Because that's, that's another thing. You know, you could use a completely different obnoxious sound and play the same notes. And it's not going to be the same feeling, though. You, you won't get no, that. The sounds are big are important. Well, I grew up in the 70s, so that's that was the time that uh, I, I think you're a little younger I am. But like in the 70s was the time that new sounds were happening. And I'll never forget the, the first time I was at a at a Salvation Army summer camp. And I, I didn't go canoeing or climbing trees or hiking because I found this mini, this, one of the camp directors had a mini moog in this room. Oh, wow. And so they would go do, I would go into this room and I would just plug it into this Fender amp and I would just go through the sounds. Like I was like 12 or something, you know, like, See, that's great. and just, I'd spend the whole day. This was the best summer camp I ever went to. You know? <laughs> that's all I did. I, ha- I hated all that. Well, I remember stuff. the, the Moog. I mean, I'm. I'll be sixty in June, so I'm. Uh, oh, okay. We're about the same age. I'm sixty from the era. Yeah, yeah. You meant, so you remember? So and then that's when all the sounds really started happening. You know, like with Yes and Rick Wakeman was a big. I was a big oh. uh, fan of Rick Wakeman. I got to meet him once. That was really? that was a highlight because he was my first hero. So oh. I met Chick and Herbie, and I never got to meet Joe, but and I. Those were all exciting and everything, and Alan and Stan, I met those guys. But when I when I finally got to meet Rick Wakeman, because he's yeah. your first, your first yeah. hero, yeah, I was like most excited ever in my life, you know. So I got to meet him. He's a funny guy, but but those sounds, you know, from that time and the synth sounds and the mellotron and the organs and sure and all that stuff. And then and then when Joe came around, and started using all those synths and. I mean, those all those sounds are just in Chick and, and all those guys. It's just, the sounds are in my this it's in it's in my dna now it's can't it can't get out you know so when i go to form sounds you know that's that's <coughs> where i go back to you know and yeah and it's like okay there's you know i'll just use stock sounds whatever i put things together and and of course alan's that stuff he did with syntax he was using oberheims and i think some dx7s too or something yeah mm-hmm. dx7s and oberheims and some samplers and stuff you know so and I had some of the same stuff. I think he liked that because I had Oberheims. I had a bunch of okay. Oberheims. That's what he <laughs> That's used. Cool. And he was like, he's like, oh, I love those sounds, you know. So we kind of we were kind of um, together with a sound sound thing, you know. But uh, 
That's cool. You know, yeah, it's like so. I think we, you know we go back to that part. I mean, I have I have good friends now. They're young, much younger, and they they have all these sounds, but they they're not able to get sounds. Mm-hmm. They, I, I think it's it's not that they're not able to. It's just it's just we have those sounds already implanted. So maybe they're not hearing they, those sounds the way you are, the way I did, because that's it, the way we heard them. And it's generational. just like the, the sounds of those, the vinyl and the sounds of the analog stuff. Oh yeah. So I don't have to use. I can use my digital stuff, but I just know what the sound I'm going for. So I just do the knobs and tweeze until I get that sound that I want. And then oh yeah, that's. I mean, you have to, to, it's like anything. You have to start the sound. You have to start from up up here anyway. Uh, absolutely, yeah. So yeah. Um, with any instrument, you know, like. Sure. My, my classical teacher, like, she, I, I uh, was playing a song, and I, I started a chord, and she grabbed my arm, and she goes like, choose your sound. Choose your sound. Oh. Then play. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh. Because especially on the piano, you can't. Once you strike the keys, you can't change the sound, you know. Mm-hmm. So, like, mm-hmm. it's, you know, it was a good lesson, you know. Like, but I think I, I always do that with my sense and those kind of things when I'm mixing. It's like you do have an image of what your sounds, so you just work until you get that sound. It's like, oh, yeah, there's my sound. So I, I don't know, you know, it's, I just go for kind of sounds that I'm looking for, and it, it kind of helps the production and the, and the vibe of the song or whatever it fits and, and go with I it, you know, so. Something, I nothing um, special. I don't have. I don't have like a master plan, or I'm not. It's not very technical. I just. No, that's cool though. I mean, and, and back to that thing about the question, ponder, question, answer. Is it's just I'm going to think about that now when I sit down at this keyboard over here and and, and maybe stop thinking so much. Yeah. Thinking well, gets in my way of my whole life. It screwed up everything I ever did, yeah. anyways. <laughs> I mean, we, we have we have to think, you know. Yeah. So thinking is always a part, but. If the thinking gets, uh, if it gets on top of feeling and you know the, yeah. the spiritual part of it, it, then it it's not human anymore, you know. So yeah. I mean, you still have to, so you still have to think, you know, and uh, about stuff, but uh, you kind of have to let let something else go on top of it, and then and then and then you can then you can think about it after you do it and then decide whether you like it or you don't like mm-hmm. it. And that's how you, you know, I put my hands on the piano and I, I'm not, I'm not really thinking. I just do something. Right. And then I think, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay, was that something I liked or didn't like, you know? Okay. I didn't like that. Okay. Do something else. Okay. I like that. So that's I thought, great, you know, man. so instead of the, t- the times that I think first and then do it's never, in the end, I, I wind up throwing it away, mm-hmm. you know, so uh, I, because it, it w- when I come back to listen to it, I can te- I can tell right away. It's like this is has is nothing. There's no soul and it. it's just thinking, you know, so so you do have to think, you know, but it's it's kind of where you place that thinking, you know. So like e- even when I'm s- even when you're soloing, right, because uh, there's I, I hear people say, like, oh, when you're soloing, you had to you just you have to stop thinking. I'm like, no, that's not true. <laughs> you're mm-hmm. always, you are, when you're playing, you're always thinking because you have to know just what you're doing, you know, but that thinking is down at the sub level. It's just writing because you've practiced so much and you studied so much mm-hmm. that you can put the thinking down onto a lower level. Mm-hmm. So when I'm playing a standard with changes that I, I know them so well, 
I don't. If if your thinking rises up into the level of the the part where your emotions and feelings and spiritual part are, then the music it ruins that. Yeah. So if if I so if I play through a song and and okay, I, I know that scale, I know that scale, I know that scale, and I'm thinking, you know, I'm, I'm like feeling the music, I'm playing through, and then I get to a scale I don't know very well, and then I have to think about it. Mm-hmm. It, blo- it blocks the music. The music right. stops. It hits a wall because I have to, it hits that wall of me thinking, and then the music gets messed up Yeah, because I'm thinking at, at a higher level. So you have to do the really hard work that all your thinking is, is on a sub level. It's not that you don't think. I mean, I guess, it's not. Yeah. So I guess know. it's it's kind of like um, once it becomes a part of you, some like the you know the the nuts and bolts of things and the the foundational stuff and this and that and where it's more on a subconscious level. So you don't have to concentrate so much. If I had to concentrate on every single word I ever said, oh yeah, yeah I would talk very slowly and I would yeah, sound horrible. Yeah. yeah, well, it's, it's a good analogy. It's like if you had to think about every letter that's in a word you say, you know. Yeah. It would, you wouldn't, you couldn't speak, you know, and, yeah, and the person wouldn't really be know what you're saying. They wouldn't, under, you know, uh, you know, so when, uh, in, in, in say in harmony, just like in a sentence, I can think of a group of harmony as, you know, three or four chords or something as a group, as a, as a sentence. And so Excuse me. It just it just starts with that, you know. It's like that's one thing, you know. Mm-hmm. And then I can play over that one thing instead of four different things, sure. or or seven things and each four different things, you know, because <laughs> seven yeah. things per scale. That that's that would be miserable, you know. Like seven yeah. things here. There's seven things here. Seven things, you know. So you have to know all those things, and then those seven and four things become one thing. Exactly. And then when you can do that one thing, and then and then it frees you up to be musical or, you know, like what we call feeling is an expression and telling a story. Sure. But it, anytime you, those, those things pop up into it, then it, and then, and it, and it still happens, you know, I'll be on a gig and then something will come and I have to think and I can feel it mess up the music. Maybe nobody knows it, but I can feel it. And I just know like, okay, I, I need to go practice those, those diminished scales a little more because when I get to them, it's like I, I can feel that it's not like the sure. other scales or something. You know, so it's little things like that. And so you always know what you need to practice, and you just go back and practice. And hopefully, uh, like, like I, I never played drop twos voicings because it's an old, it's an old style from the. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I started studying drop twos, you know, and I practice and practice. And I get on the gig, I could do a few of them, you know, on the gig and. But not, you know. But the more I do it, I can throw it into some some voicings and and things, and and it's getting better. But I'm still well, having to practice it, you know. So it it's kind of like, um, you know, in the work that I do, I've done always, always every day, literally, um, re- researching or, or studying things about the brain. Yeah, and and that's really where like. That's that's why the image on actually Jimmy Haslip turned me on to the person who did the cover for this. She's doing oh, my right. next book too. Yeah, I love that cover. Yeah. February first. That's actually that's the same as the CD. Well, when you get in the mail, you'll see it's the same image on the CD cover. Mm-hmm. But the the bottom line is, um, you know, when you look at the, the the way the brain works, 
when you're doing anything, um, synaptic firing patterns are happening between neurons. So when these synaptic firing patterns, it's like a learning event. Let's say you're practicing, uh, you know, for me, maybe just learning some chords or practicing some scales of different types, you know, and the fingerings that might go with it optimally for me anyways. Um, But the more I do it, the more I'll, I'll get better at it. But what's happening in the brain is these synaptic firing patterns are occurring and the more that they wire together, they fire together. So it's like riding a bicycle, learning a language, learning a song, learning scales, learning chords. And the more you do it, the less you have to think about it now because it just kicks in. It's like, boom, these synaptic firing patterns are going to happen when I play this or when I play this over that, over that, over that, because now four things became one as a drummer. So four limbs, you know, and, not bad at doing polyrhythms and playing all the bar line and stretching it out that's great but but it's because a lot of the practicing goes on in my head when i hear things Hmm. but um that those firing patterns happen then too so the the brain has this way of re of wiring itself and adapting as it needs to what the job is that you want to get done and so when you want to get this job done of improvising whatever it is, when you've done this over and over and over, like you say, you've done it so much, you've done the, 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 the grit, the hard work, yeah, you, you just, you it, study yeah. for so many years and you practice for so many years. There's so much going on in the uh, neural circuitry of the brain. You don't have to really think about that stuff anymore. Otherwise you'd never get to the good stuff that you really want right. to get. To. I don't mean good. That's subjective, but you get to the stuff that you want to get to because you have to think about all this other stuff all the time. Yeah. So that just means I need to practice the damn piano. Yeah. <laughs> I want to do anything. Yeah, um, that's one thing we, you, we can't get away from is just practice, you know, and, and yeah. how we practice is individual. You know, I, I have my own way of practicing and mm-hmm. kind of my arc of when I get something finished, you know, and, and actually understand it, you know, and how I get there. But, that's all the individual. Some people are quicker at doing things one way or, or whatever. But, uh, but that's but you, but you still have to do the work. You still have to have the understanding of how things work. And sure, uh, building the foundation. Yeah, the foundation is like the most important. You know, uh, to build to build all your other stuff. So, yeah, yeah it's, an, w- it's an interesting thing. I'm sure people are trying to figure out how it works. You know, and and then you know why why Thelonious Monk is who he is or Alan or or any yeah. of those guys, you know. There's, there's a book I have that you might really enjoy. I'll just show it because I've showed this to many people. Um, and it really talks about music in the brain and how it can be therapeutic to the brain, mm-hmm. how it can change the brain, how it can help with walking. We use music for, uh, you know, we have to find a song somebody likes. Sometimes I don't really like a lot of the songs that people do. But, you know, yeah. I'm happy, though, when they have a song they like that we can pick on some streaming thing. And, and, and because the rhythm, the, the, the beat, if some people can't find a beat, now that's a whole nother okay. thing. <laughs> that's where you go to, uh, I, I can't Tina dance. Take, sure. You don't want to Take see Tina dance. Duck. Yeah. Takeatina.com yeah. is something Marcus Reuter told me about, and that that'll teach people how to figure out how to feel a rhythm or a beat. Oh. But, but the, the, um, music can help people to even out that asymmetrical stride when they're walking. So they actually walk rhythmically so now. Yeah. And which means they're going to reduce their fall risk. But this book here is really cool. It's called the uh, Neurologic Handbook of Neurologic Music Therapy. Oh, okay. 
it's written by a whole bunch of doctors and neurologists. And, and what's really, really cool about is, of course, in my work with Parkinson's mostly, um, it, it really goes into the research-based, evidence-based, here's what's happening in the brain when you do this. And when yeah. you listen to that, whether you're creating the music, which is the optimal, especially if you're doing it with, I didn't mean to go off on this. I'm sorry. Yeah, but, that's, no, that's but, very interesting. I like it. But yeah. it's fun because like you have the external, which I can just listen and maybe if I'm in trouble walking and I have Parkinson's, I can get my stride better. And the more I practice it, the better I get. So I'm retraining the brain so I can maybe think of that song now instead of hearing it yeah. and walk better. But the actual creation from within of music, especially when you're in a band and you're yeah. with playing music you like. So you're not only getting the external from the other players, but you're getting the internal from creating. And that's like the optimal brain changing kind of stuff. There's so much that can happen in the brain for therapy. So I went off folks. I'm sorry, but this, this is a really, really good book. That's cool. I have to check that out. It's yeah. a little pricey. I mean, it's like $50 or so, but it's a really great investment if you really want to know what's going on in the brain. And it's not it just is, I mean, that does interest me how things work like that. Like uh, like, uh, like when I'm learning, a, like I was learning that, that Bartok Sonata. And uh, there's one section in there where he's playing, he has me playing some kind of like, I call it a D7. This kind of harmony. But it, he writes the melody in a G sharp melodic minor thing. So on, on their own, I, I would practice the right hand. Something like that. I forgot the piece now. But And then the left, I, mean, I practiced the left hand. It made sense. D7. Oh, wow. But Jeez. when you put it together, I was like... So when I was first learning, I'm like... I, I didn't understand. I'd just sit there for hours and and then at some point, like, you know, days or maybe weeks, it would just go boom and it would sound normal to my head. I'm like, mm -hmm. whoa, mm -hmm. this, I under, I don't know if I understand it, but it would and then yeah. and then it became beautiful. Like that sound was and everything about it is wrong. C C sharp when then the, the Technically, it doesn't. It's not supposed to fit. But I love that. Though. Bartok had this thing, and it, and now so it most. And so I, I'll, I'll do that. Something I started doing that on gigs. When there was a D seven chord, I would go. I'm going to play a G sharp melodic minor. <laughs> Just the wrongest scale you could think of. You know, <laughs> some people wouldn't. Some people wouldn't bat an eye, and then some people go, "Wow, that's whoa!" They go, "Woo, that's cool." You know. Because it's the wrong. That is wild. Thing. I love that. Thing. And 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 then I realized I think that's what Chick does. I don't know if he thinks like that, but that's, he he definitely does that kind of thing. And it, and then you know, so why does the brain all of a sudden do that? You know, I, I have a lot of questions about the brain, like that. Like for example, uh, like like the blue scale, mm -hmm. like uh, like if. If you're playing like a, a progression, you know, you have to make the changes, you know. But so you have, you know, if you're playing a one, six, two, five. But 
in, but if you play wrong notes in, the, in that progression, it sounds bad, right? If you just don't mm. make the scales. But if you play a blues scale, which has all the wrong notes to those, those chords, <laughs> then your brain goes, yeah, that's good. Ah, uh, right? yeah. And I, I'm like, wh why do we accept that? But if you're not doing that, then you have to play the scales that go to that chord more or less, right? And I'm like, right. why? I mean, it's just wrong notes to the chord. They're all wrong notes, but it's like the brain goes, oh yeah, that's yeah. I like that, but it's wrong, you know. So why why how does it know to do that kind of thing? There's like all these little questions I always think about, like why, you know, <laughs> why that works, you know, why does our brain accept that, and and then all of a sudden won't accept it on the other thing. So, but yeah, it's interesting, you know. And then, like my my wife when she when she we used to go hear Alan Holdsworth, she 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 couldn't she hated it. She thought it was the worst <laughs> thing in the world. I'm like, what? this is the best music. What are you talking about? You know. And then I I actually got. I was sitting there once with her as we were listening to him, and then I actually did that. I, I got my brain to turn off what I know. And then I, I think I heard what she heard because she didn't notice. And it was just, you know, there was no backbeat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There was no key center, you know. And the drummer's not in, and the, the chords just seemed to go randomly around, you know. And, uh, you know, so like, her brain's not wired like that. And then I switched back to my brain. I'm like, oh, yeah, Ooh, that's killing. You know? yeah. <laughs> I'm glad I'm, I got this brain thing. So it's, it's something, you know, it's in the brain. Like uh, I, I, go, I go see the galaxies and stars with my friend sometimes. Randy Roos, he's into oh, yeah, telescopes. Cool. And, and we go out sometimes in the fields. And there was this one guy who said, hey, look, I found this galaxy. And he goes, oh, there it is. And he found it. And so I would look. I'm like, I don't see anything. Randy would look. I can't see it. And the guy would look. He goes, yeah, it's right there. There it is. And wow. and we kept looking. And then at one point I go, oh, yeah, I see it. And I'm like, okay, maybe I'm just making it up. You know, so I would come back to it. I'm like, no, I now see the galaxy. Mm -hmm. I see it. Mm -hmm. And then Randy did it. And he's like, oh, now, now I see it. And we all saw it. But like something, we had to get our brain to see it. Like we couldn't see it before. It was just... It's There's so something that goes on, you know, and I th and I, was, I started thinking. I think music is like that. Like I I don't I don't hear D G sharp melodic minor. It's not you know. And then I remember that one time when all it just clicked in. I'm like I can hear it. I know yeah. it. It sounds beautiful, you know. And I and then I could I could learn the piece because it came together. So somehow my brain. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I like. I mean, I don't know. I know nothing about that kind of stuff. But well, it's really I fascinating that. The, the whole brain thing, you know, this book I showed you, I, I love. Uh, do you know the bass player, um, Mike Pope? Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't so, know personally. I, I know he's in New York. Yeah, like, he played with uh, Chick and some other people. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's the first time I saw him back early 2000s with Chick and Dave Weckl and them. But um, yeah. we were talking. I can't remember how we connected um, two years ago. And then he turned me on to this guy who recently – he told me about this guy, this guy, Charles Lim. I don't know if you know or if you've heard of this doctor. I think he's San oh, Francisco no. area. So Lim is somebody I want to get on and talk with because he's been doing brain imaging of uh, musicians. Like, and I 
don't want to offend anybody, but I mean, like real musicians like you. <laughs> so, or, <laughs> like, he, may, not, he may find out something different when he's once he looks at you. There's nothing going on up here. What's it? Yeah, I'm so afraid always of hurting anyone's feelings, but not like um, you know uh, stuff you might hear on the radio uh, yeah. right now. Current pop stuff that did, it, it, there's some great stuff. I'm sure. I don't know. I don't right. listen to radio, but I'm talking about the people who are the deep. Well we're talking about thinking but the deep thinker the deep feelers of yeah. music and and how that backbeat may not exist but we still feel it in a different yeah, kind of way and so this this propelling forward or whatever it is so this guy is uh doing a lot of work in that arena and i need to wow. connect with mike and see if he's talked with him anymore i want to get this guy on and, and pick his brain because i uh, well that's, maybe it helped cool. me actually be able to play a piano and think of if i had to write a song to save my life that i actually could because it, it's something I really like to do. I, you helped me earlier with it, though, with the whole question, ponder, question, answer. That's something I'm going to sit down next time. I I may only come up with the question part. That's and then fine. A few yeah. days well, later, actually, I might get a actually, ponder. But that's you know? I, actually there's you can have a whole page of questions, right? And <laughs> leave leave it for somebody else to answer. You know. Oh, that might be a good idea. You know, maybe that's way maybe, cool maybe that's way philosophy like is just a bunch of questions. You know. Yeah. And everybody has to answer it themselves. You know. This stuff with the the brain just fascinates me so much. So that's why I'm so. Um, what's happening now is I'm finally coming back around into. I am going to make a musical statement at some point in my life. The CD I did last year is its own thing, and it's really it. more of yeah. a more of a fundraising type of effort for uh, the foundation I have. It's people okay. music picked by people who have Parkinson's uh -huh. with a positive message for the world. You know, and there's some really good stuff on it. You got to hear what Scott Kenzie did with the rehams on all this different stuff. Oh, you know, a, the guy's like crazy. I need to pick his brain a little bit. He's like, God, I love. I, I was love just what he it does. drove me. I couldn't even believe when I walked into his studio and heard a couple of the things that he had done. I'm like, yeah. how yeah, can you even think of this? Because, I mean, it, but it's him. Yeah. Nobody else would think of it. So that's again the individual voice, the individuality, the authenticity. Um, but um, the brain man it's just so fascinating yeah. it's so, cool. so that's a great field you're in i mean the fact that you're in both worlds you know and oh i know i was cool. gonna say is the next musical musical statement will be something that comes from here and i don't know if it's involved i don't know what i'm gonna play on whatever it is and, yeah but well, it'll be something just one thing before i croak <laughs> it yeah. was it was I an mean, alan word i remember taking my son to see him the first time the trough way long time ago it was joel taylor on drums that night I think. oh yeah yeah, yeah. and Ernest maybe Tibbs. i can get it done before i croak he it literally he, he says because i used to say to my son i said you've got to see him before he isn't here anymore yeah so he's like yeah, i gotta see him well he hasn't been touring in so long and then he finally did a tour we went out to see him and the first thing alan says oh, thank you for coming you know it's just nice to be out doing another tour before i croak before i croak <laughs> yeah, people would laugh you know my I god know. well we had, had this thing but well that's, well that's amazing so well steve you know um man i i i have loved talking with you i should probably blast, close yeah. it out here and in, in a couple of minutes and Maybe get oh, okay. some sleep after a while. I'd love to keep talking. We should do me. this. Yeah, I, I know you were saying that your clock is screwed up a little oh, bit. Totally, totally messed Are you up. going? You're going against the clock. Ah, oh, that was <laughs> a bad part. If anyone gets it. <laughs> so, 
Yeah, there's actually there's a great video of you on YouTube playing that with um what's Sophia? I think it's uh, oh, oh it's, that's it's, beautiful yeah. at the tribute. Tribute, yes. yeah, we did that together, yeah. I and, we, and yeah. we did it also at the baked potato. She came out and sang it that time. Did and, she? Wow. Yeah. Is it her mom who sang that on the C D? And wrote the words, yeah. Oh wow. So Alan just said, you know, he he had the song like you know, and he asked uh, Naomi to like sing on it and he, he needed some words so he kind of gave her a hint what he was thinking and she wrote all those words for it and sang okay. it and, and so you know of course she and of course she passed away a few years back and mm-hmm. and then and then so sophie has an amazing voice you know and so when we did that tribute i was uh i knew we were, we were all going to play together you know and then i was i was just listening to that song and then i started figuring it out just on my own and then and then i just had this thought i'm like what well, I got to contact Chad to see if I said, well, this would be amazing if, if Sophie would come up and we could do this, you know, because sure. I don't think that tune would had ever been played live. It's never been performed ever. And yeah. so, so I right. called Chad and I'm like, Hey, I got this idea for the, when we played the baked potato, like for the tribute thing, like, uh, you know, I'll write out a chart for, uh, for this tune. And, uh, and I, I said, uh, and, and do you think Sophia would like, would she come up and sing it with us? You know, and he goes, I, I, I don't even know if she's ever heard it, so I'll ask her. And then he uh-huh. got back to me, and he said, he said, you know what? I didn't know this, but it's, that song has been on her phone, and she knows the song. No Because it's her mom singing, so she would, she would always listen to it, and she knows. It. So we, need, we, we, didn't even, we did barely a rehearsal when we put that together, and Jimmy oh, played wow. on it. And Chad already knew the tune, because I know it's Vinny on the record. Yeah. But Chad originally played that, a recording that with Alan. There's some oh, I didn't somewhere. know that. Yeah, he, he it did. It never came out, but uh, Chad originally. So Chad had played on that, so he knew how the thing went. And then, of course, Jimmy Johnson's on the thing. So I and I learned it, and uh, and then Sophia came up and sang it with us, and it was just I was in tears when we were, she, when she started oh. singing. I was like, you know. I'm sorry, my. That's right. Yeah, it's in, I'm so, so like, sorry. My uh, little robot vacuum cleaner just decided to oh, start nice. going, we and it came like, in to visit. I love, me. I love those things. Yeah, I, I, it's yeah, somehow they, it so goes like on and like get, they get want to get lodged in their stuff, you know. But but anyways, it, yeah, yeah, like so. So she gave that's me, a beautiful, very song. special, like a beautiful song. So, oh, you know, on the CD, um, what Vinny does on that, I actually, I when I heard that, I actually started laughing so hard because. It wasn't that it was funny. It's just that it was, it was funny in a way. How could anyone think to play what Vinny played on that? And I mean, the, the whole, the whole I thing. couldn't believe it. I was talking with Peter Erskine about it too. He said Vinny was over the top in the best way possible. He says he said he was on the road. He was driving. He actually had to pull over. Like, oh, when he heard that, the thing, that track, heck yeah. is going on on against the clock on the yeah. Wardenclyffe Tower? I started laughing. And, and I listened to it probably 20 times because I was driving back from the Boston area to Syracuse. And I'm just, yeah, it's, it's definitely got the replay factor where you just, oh like, my God, okay, replay, yeah. replay. But and I think there's a video of you playing it with Virgil and somebody on uh, YouTube. Um, did you guys play that? We, we did. We also, we, when we went to Australia, we did that tune. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, we, we'd done it like the year before for the tribute. Okay. Uh, at Baked Potato. And then I did it once with at the memorial with with sophia yes and then and then we we knew the tune so when we went to australia with with virgil we played we played that 
as well. You know, we we didn't have the vocals, so I just played like the melody, right? With my, with my little vocoder. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's cool though. So, uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's always fun for me to talk about the about the tunes and about the music and. Anyway, I'm so glad I, you I don't mind it. talking about it too. I no. I um I. Yeah, thank so it's you. Good, I mean, it's been so long, especially a lot, a lot of those tours and I think you know it's it's good to kind of remember about them and and uh you know just it's good good memories it was all it was all like I was I'm just very blessed and happy I got to do what I got to do you know and uh I just I'm kind of the person I just let things flow as they flow I don't try to push anything you know and it's just something you know just when it happens when it happens and, yeah. and that's that's the way my whole career has been you know I just I never pushed anything it's just it goes the way it goes and 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 so this this new record is the same way you know i mean i i could have done this 15 years ago but it wouldn't be what it is now you know right and so it just just happened now so i had to let you know <laughs> just let it happen the time yeah, the time just, is now yeah yep. yeah now's, now's the time you know and, and the way it came out man i, I just applaud you again it's just oh, beautiful thank you. it's yeah, I hope and I, it I is hope, a journey everybody like enjoys it it's uh it's i'm really happy about it it's uh and very proud of this work with all the people and so well I th what i'll do is uh so much as i don't really want to right now we'll sign off in a minute if you don't okay. mind though just stay with me for just a minute afterwards okay. um it's called connections it's by steve hunt on spice rack and records yeah it's spice rack records yes so it's spice rack records.com yeah is one place you can learn yeah, about what steve get, has there yeah um but uh check out the streaming services obviously and then yeah, um it'll be up there and uh and then I, i'm getting on band camp so you can actually purchase oh good <laughs> so if anybody uh, wants to help out they can purchase through that one you know you know i'm glad you just said that because that's a thing that i've really only in the past year when i released well mine came out of february last year i didn't understand the whole streaming thing and how it works i'm still not sure that i actually understand but yeah go to Bandcamp and buy it yeah, I know I I just bought a few there, you know, some rare places you can buy it, you know. So Yeah, and I think it's really important to buy because these these people, you and you know, I just bought uh, like a ten something set of Gary Husband everything oh, yeah. on, on Bandcamp. I wanted to have all of it. Yeah. I don't want to just go and pay ten bucks a month and listen somewhere else. I want if he can get some money from him, I want him to have it because look yeah. at what he's given me over the yeah. years. What look at you've given to me over the years. I mean, yeah. it's there's you can't put a price on that. You can put a value on it. And so people buy it. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Somebody buy it, man. It. Just be old school and buy the damn CD. Or yeah, it's buy, yeah, it's, buy it's, the it's, downloads. It's a, yeah, it's been it's been uh, sort of a uh, a trend, you know. It creeps, you know, when a, music is free now, you know. But it's Ugh. you know, and it, everybody knows it's not. You know, like all these musicians I had, on, I had actually paid them. You know, you still have they, to pay. They all got paid, there's, you know? there's even so. if you do a lot of the stuff yourself, there's still costs involved. There's the oh, time yeah, involved. There's yeah. everything. There's so yeah. much work and the emotions that go into it and money, and so buying is, I think, so important. And it, you know, we're in a pandemic too, so that yeah. you're not gigging out, right? Gigs, I mean, gigs yeah. aren't really happening. You know, the baked potato has been closed for months. They reopened for yes. a couple of weeks and then they closed they again. Closed I mean, again, yeah. nothing is open. Nobody's yeah, touring. It's, and it's going to be like that for a while. And, and then coming back, it's going to be a slow return, you know? Yeah. But uh, it'll come back. You know, I mean, I think uh, it's human nature to 
to gather together and listen to things live, you know. Like mm-hmm. when, I, when I go to see a symphony and when I leave, I c- those vibrations of Stravinsky and Shostakovich and Beethoven, when I leave the hall, they're still vibrating in me, you know. Sure. That you can't get from a, from a YouTube thing, you know. You don't get that. You no get way. Right. When, when, when you're live, your whole, every part of your body is vibrating, you know. Yeah. Not just your ears, and and when you leave, you feel alive, you know. So I, I, I mean, I, I'm I'm sure it's it's going to come back, you know. It's live it'll music come never, back. never goes away. It just no, you know, it'll come I back. We, I think we have to have it. So it'll come back. Yeah. Things will be a little different, maybe for a while, but um, yeah. So buy it, people. Connections, Steve Hunt, and uh, hey man, listen, thank you uh, again. Hang on thank with you. me for just a minute after we yeah. sign off. But thank you so much, Steve. Really appreciate your time and all. Oh, Everything. My, my pleasure. Yeah, and uh, we can do this again sometime. You know, absolutely. So, yeah. We yeah, need I'll, to do yeah, it I'll again. To you. Yeah. This has probably, been probably a few more stories to tell. You know? I, uh, we'd we'd love to hear them. Um, yeah, some, some I know, so probably know. some people yeah. who are disappointed the live didn't happen, but you know, they'll yeah. be able to check this out. Um, yeah. Well, good. Well, thank you again, Steve. Thank you everyone yeah, thank for you. watching and listening, whatever platform you're on. We'll do it again sometime. All right. All right. Thank you. Uh, You'll be with me. Folks, take care. Thanks so much for watching and listening. And uh, go buy Connections when it comes out here. January 25th is the target date. So 2021. Do it. (laughs) All right. See you later.